OTB Rugby. Quinny is going at a million miles an hour. And bearing in mind, I didn't pass the ball that often. He was expecting the pass. He got the pass and scores. And in scoring, dislocates his shoulder. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game. Welcome along to the Hurling Pod. It is All-Ireland final weekend. Once again, for the second year in a row, it's going to be Limerick and Kilkenny locking horns in the decider this coming Sunday. Limerick have got the chance to win five in six seasons and they could become the first county since Kilkenny to win four in a row if they're lifting the Lee McCarthy this weekend. While Kilkenny are hoping to be crowned champions for the first time since 2015. It feels a long time when you consider Kilkenny's illustrious history. Delighted to say, as normal, we've got Paul Murphy, James Scale here. How are you getting on, lads? How's it going, lads? Good, how are things? All-Ireland final week, Murph. What kind of emotions does it evoke when you think back? What would it have been like as a player four or five days out from the final? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I suppose, different years had different emotions. I was, remember my first one, 2011, I had no nerves coming into the final, slept the night before and was probably ignorance was bliss in that regard. Um, you know, I obviously knew there was no attention on me in the corner and it was all on Tommy and Henry and these lads. So kind of blissfully just sauntered into an All-Ireland final and no nerves. But I remember even fast forward to the following year, around the Wednesday, just randomly, just getting a quack of nerves sitting at home. Um, and maybe probably didn't do a whole lot the week before that final and not keeping the mind occupied is also another probably downside in a run into a final. So I think you'll see a lot of players this week, you know, wanting to maybe go into work, you know, do their job and let the week slowly come around as opposed to, you know, sitting at home, feet on the couch and all you have nothing to do when you think about the final. So look, I've great memories. I always loved the excitement coming into the final. Always loved going into training and, you know, there's obviously great anticipation. Everybody you meet is talking about the final, asking you how it's going to go and, there's, you know, the start seeing the colour going up around Kilkenny and stuff like that as well. So, look, they're always obviously great times. It's where you want to be and it's summer hurling. Um, so I have not and only fond memories of the week and the run to the finals. When you're that bit closer to Dublin, Murph, in Kilkenny, did you sleep in your own bed and then make the way up to Dublin on the way to the final? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, at, at most for us, I mean, we're, ver- we're very lucky that way that we never had to spend more than, you know, I suppose an hour and 20 on the bus on, on the way up to Dublin. Um, particularly the day of even an All-Ireland final where you'd have the Garda escort from Kilkenny the whole way up um, because obviously that traffic, the traffic on those days would be that that bit more. But yeah, the luxury of sleeping in your own bed, I think any player would take that the night before a final. But look, I mean, you look at great Kerry teams and everything down through the years and say they've never slept in their bed the night before an All-Ireland final. I'm not sure the logistics for them, but, you know, other teams... I'm sure it's not a desired thing to do to be able to, to have to sleep in a hotel, but it's necessary also. Um, but for us, it was great. You know, you're sitting at home, you're watching your own telly, having a cup of tea and go to bed then that evening. Better chance of sleeping, despite the fact there's inevitably a small bit of nerves the night before. Um, but I always enjoyed that, just that bit of comfort that you were sitting at home and get to sleep in your own bed the night before the final. Scal, I think the only thing that's really inevitable is you're going to have a more colourful story about your preparations for All-Ireland Final Week. So, <laughs> semi-finals, you're telling us about going down into the bog and having no, to get that rolled. was the final. That was that the was final. final. Even worse. Yeah. Yeah. That was the 2012 final the first day, yeah. But that's, that's uh, as I said previously, that is not the type of preparation you want to get involved in. No, that is, that is the worst thing. <laughs> when I see Morph, I can just picture Morph kind of going around the house, chipping around, doing a few bits, keeping the mind occupied. Two, two cucumbers over the eyes there on the couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and nice kind of you know relaxing music in the background, and you're petting a dog. <laughs> Quail music in the background. <laughs> Whereas I'm a foot deep in bog water. 
<laughs> yeah, see, we're, we're living contrasting lifestyles. See, that's, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, you want to keep your week as close to what your normal week is, and for you, that's being knee deep in bog water. Like, so it's just that's that's natural. Would you not agree? Yeah, you know? and, and you would be in your job is doing fuck all. Yeah. There's a phrase in poker. Shots fired. Shots fired there. The phrase in poker, more never raise if you can't match the re-raise. <laughs> so as soon as you start, I said I'm going to hit him with this one. No. <laughs> You're getting ready for Thursday, so geez, can anyone yeah, be saying? I'm getting warmed up. Um, <laughs> well, I think if Derek Ling was listening at the moment or John Kylie, I don't think any of their players will be recommended the scale plan of going to the bog on the Saturday of an All Ireland final. But by your own admission, you played quite well the next day. Yeah, it was one of the better ones, like in fairness. And uh, I, I do think there was pros and cons to the situation. Um, now, again, as I said, I wouldn't recommend it. However, I think I was coerced by my uncle, who you know, was home for a couple of days and wanted to get through everything around the locality and the farm and you name it, and decided that. The match was of secondary importance, you know, to the bog. So um, that was, yeah, that was not a good time. But like, I, I would normally be on the back of the bus and I'd be quite conversive with, with the lads around me. Um, you know, the way when you get into like a routine, the seats in the bus remain the same for years, and it was always the same clientele around you. Uh, but for this, I think I actually slept the whole way up. <laughs> I think I slept on the morning. Fine, grand. I was grand and you know, feeling fresh then after that. And uh, lo and behold, it got off to a good start. And, and uh, it was a draw, obviously, we <clears throat> one that's still it's a major regret. But, and still, when I hear about uh, Henry, I think he had a he had a press conference or something like that when, when they asked him during his retirement, like, what was his best memory? And it was 2012 winning that. That was, that was a tough one to swallow. So <laughs> moving on, William, moving on. <laughs> so that would indicate to me in Galway, despite coming from the West Coast, you were travellers on the day to the final too. Yeah, I, I as as Murph was, was speaking there, I was trying to actually remember, did we ever have a situation where we stayed up? And no one actually come to my memory. I think the only one we ever set up for, which would be, was the number 21 final. At the time, it coincided with the Camogie finals. That was like 07, 08, Murph. Do you remember that as well in Crow Park? Yeah, yeah. So for reasons beyond me, I don't know why we set up there because, um, you know, you'd imagine the crowd would be a lot less than from a senior day. But I think every other day, uh, we would have drove up on the bus, obviously. And I just think it was... It was like that. It was a sense of familiarity. I don't think people, me inclusive, I don't like sleeping anywhere else uh, the days of games. I don't like hotels because whether it's air conditioning getting wrong, it's noise from other people, other residents, you know, it's different type of breakfast, etc. It's just there's too many variables. Whereas when I'm at home, you know, you're still in your same routine, your same bed, etc. And it's the only way to guarantee, well, as close as possible to guarantee uh, a regular night's sleep. So, um, yeah, for us, I think to this day, they don't stay up either. I think it's always travel up. So mm. uh, business as usual. Hmm. I promise we'll move this away from a hotel podcast now in a moment but Murph it was announced end of last week Kilkenny and Limerick are both going home after the final they're not staying up there was something very traditional about it the idea that when the teams had won or lost the final they would stay in usually one of two hotels in Dublin and then the next day supporters would come along in the morning and kind of mingle them a bit while they're having yeah. breakfast and the RT crew would be there afterwards it always to me seemed like one of the great traditions now Kilkenny didn't stay there last year I think Kilkenny went down after the final uh, back into the city of Kilkenny as opposed to staying mm. in Dublin this time around very difficult to get hotels on Sunday and that tends to be the case in Dublin quite a bit now at the moment but yeah. it feels like a real break from tradition that no matter who lifts the McCarthy this weekend it won't be in a Dublin hotel afterwards yeah and it's it is part of the tradition as well um, I think anybody who's been involved in those days obviously enough particularly in a winning um, in a winning hotel like it's it's kind of like your your county has been picked up and 
thrown into a hotel in Dublin and there's people from every angle. Like, let's say we would have always been back to City West. Mm. And even like, you know, when you arrive back to City West and you're coming down the avenue and there's, there's supporters everywhere and it's part of the celebration that, you know, you're now coming back in to the Kilkenny people and, you know, you're getting to celebrate and you start to meet your relations or your club mates and all this. And, you know, even the following morning, like the party goes on into the early hours and, um, you know, some you'll be going down for breakfast and you're meeting lads only going to bed and different things and lads are having a laugh and you see some of the players, you know, chatting to lads that were chatting to the night before and there's just a great part of the celebration there and even going into the children's hospital, that was one of the things the following morning, like that even regardless what lads did, you'd be up the following morning, you put on the shirt and you were into the children's hospital and like, that was a big part of it as well. So like all those things and also there was even a, there was even a part there where let's say you come back from the children's hospital and you'd, you'd go down the road then we used to go into a pub in Salons there and have a few points. And it was kind of, you're in your own little bubble before the mayhem of going back to a homecoming where, you know, you're all never going to be in the same room again. Like it was literally, that was the last moment where between that and the bus home, you were having a bit of crack together. You were reliving the match. You were talking about what happened the night before. And all that was just a brilliant part of it because once you go back to Kenny, everybody went to the four corners. There was lads, you know, spread out. There's lads talking to lads and, you you know, that was the end of it. So um, it's a pity that the teams have to go back, but it's just, look, that that is the times we're in. They just have to do it at the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to change the experience too much, Gal. Like Kilkenny, I think we've already announced they're going to Langton's come what may this Sunday. They're going to have a meal afterwards and they're going to stay in the city then for the night. And I think Limerick's plan is they'll have a homecoming on Monday if they were to do the four in a row. Um, I don't know. Do you have kind of a, any grow for the previous tradition of staying in City West or the Burlington? Where did, where did Galway stay in 2017? Well, it's very interesting you ask that question, Will, because ironically, <clears throat> about two months ago, uh, I lost €100 Euro to Niall Healy, ex-Galway hurler, and we based on which hotel we stayed in. I was full sure it was the Burlington. <laughs> it was the City West. Ah, yeah. Jesus. There's a fair yeah. difference in that. One is here. I was certain. And I mean, I was certain, I was certain, certain that it was the Burlington, right? And I put the hand out to shake it, yeah, €100, Euro, and he looked at me kind of confused, and he shook my hand, and I texted Aiden Hart, and he said, City West, I went, fuck. That's €100, Euro, gone, straight away. Like, you know, so Will to answer your question around about manner, yes, it was the same. Yeah. yeah. Now I can't remember the layout. <laughs> late, yeah. <laughs> I remember the heat the night before, but that was it, yeah. Um in other years then we would uh, we would have I think always been in the Burlington. There was a year we were supposed to go actually ironically the twenty twelve year morph, there was a it was Regency the first day mm. and then I think it was the Burlington the second day. The replay. Yeah. And then in fifteen I think it was Burlington again. Seventeen was City West, eighteen I genuinely can't remember. See, Cody must have a contact in City West because every year Kilkenny got there, it seemed to be City West. <clears throat> well, I think it was because the Leinster final would have semi final was played before the Munster final semi final, let's say. So, like the winners, the Leinster one was weekend before. So, you, if, if you were successful in winning Leinster and then you won your semi final, yeah, you, you knew you were there so you could go and book it first. Mm-hmm. So, I think that was the thing. And I think obviously the size of the um, county boards would rather have a lot of supporters in the hotel if they could. And obviously City West was the biggest hotel that could actually facilitate it. So I think um, I think that was a lot of, the, it's a handy one to get to as well, particularly for you going home, you're halfway, you're, you're a quarter way down the road as it is. So that was the benefit of being in the Leinster final. I'm fairly sure that was the, that was the logistics behind it. 
Mm. Yeah. And probably doesn't help if you're a regular client as well. You've been <clears> to about 15 All-Ireland finals in a row and mm. every year City West know they're getting repeat business. I'd say they're probably booking Kilkenny in for a spot um, every year before the championship even gets underway. Um, something that broke just before we go on an air, before we get towards the uh, final itself, was this, which is Wexford GEA saying they wish to announce that following the completion of a comprehensive review of the 2023 season, it's been decided not to extend Dara Egan's initial two-year term as senior hurling manager. We did speculate a bit about this, Skell, that he was going to be under pressure no matter what. They stayed up, didn't go down yeah. to the McDonough on the last day. They beat Kilkenny, but the feeling was going to be there that after losing to Westmead and you know not getting out of the group stages of the Leinster Championship, Dara Egan was probably going to be under pressure. Now, I thought when a few weeks ago they said they were going to take another two weeks after Darry Egan had met with them, that maybe he was going to stay on for a third season. Are you surprised that they have decided to go a different direction here? Well, if you rewind a few weeks ago, and I suppose when when, the, when their championship concluded, like I, I I said here myself that he was going to be under fair pressure uh, because the results that he garnered over the last two years wouldn't be what the Wexford Republic uh, or County Border clubs alike would have gotten used to because they've had a, a relatively sure, good run of success over the last four or five years um, when you go back as far as like 17, 18. So I thought that he was going to be under pressure, that he'd have to probably kind of prove his case somewhat in a meeting or somewhat or to, to the to the board to get re-ratified. But then uh, I, th- I believe kind of a, a statement came out from the players saying that collectively they wanted him to stay on. Mm. So when that kind of statement came out, I said, yeah, OK, he's going to stay now because if if there is you know, hunger for the players for him to stay, they obviously hold him in, in high regard. And I think I thought the county board decided him. And I didn't think uh, that we'd be reading today what, uh, what we're reading now with him him being uh, effectively moved aside. That's what it is. I think they. I think it was two years with a third-year option, so the county board have, have obviously chosen not to pick up the third-year option and at least the door open for, for a new person. So I'd say it's disappointing for him because like he, he would have been well thought of coming into the role, having getting experience in, in Tipperary in the club game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's obviously, it's a supremely difficult position to to, to maintain as, as being a senior county manager. Because there's, there's only a select for few roles when you think about the amount of counties at, at top-tier, Division 1 status, we're talking 10 or 11. So, like, when you effectively lose one of those jobs, tough pill to swallow. But, again, like, he's, he's, a, he's a sound guy, good person. Like, he's a gentleman off the pitch. So, I think that uh, an opportunity will arise pretty soon for him. Hmm. I kind of thought, Murph, we were going to get round a full cycle of the McCarthy counties this time round, not changing managers after all they uh, changed last summer because looks like Davy Fitz is now staying in Waterford. There's going to be no changes in Cork. Liam Cal's not going to be uh, leaving Tipperary. And then obviously the Limerick management is in situ at the moment with all the success they've had. Derek Ling is definitely getting a second year after Kilkenny getting to the final. We can we discussed last week a little bit about Lohan and about Henry and we kind of think they're going to be staying for another year. Uh, Michal's only into the second year of his programme there in Dublin as well this feeling that maybe this is going to settle and we wouldn't see change and then Dar Egan has been replaced today by Wexford we'll see who the successor is going to be what's your reaction? Yeah it's a, it, it is a, still a surprise like everything Skell said there is 100% and we did allude to it there that you know undoubtedly he was going to be under a bit of pressure but um, I think we had kind of pointed out that many of the performances this year you know, you could, you would put back on the players as well. Like, I mean, certainly management are going to have to be responsible. It's, it's their business to have the players in, in flying order for a match day. But, you know, some of the performances led you to believe that maybe it lent more so towards the players and also the injuries they had. They had a lot of injuries during the year to a lot of key players, Lee Chin, Matthew Hannon, uh, Liam Ryan. You lost so many players had injuries um, that it, even on that front, it wasn't an easy year for them. But I just thought for one more year, I thought at least anyway, that they'd give Darry another crack. As Skell said there, like, 
what I hear from and even from speaking from Wexford players is that you know he's really liked he's really well gotten and they can see what he's about and maybe just didn't work out this year so I just thought based on that alone he would get a third year so I was very surprised to see you know just before we came on here that no, they're they're on the hunt for a new manager. So, um, look, I'm sure it'll be disappointing for Darry Egan, but look, won't be by any means the end of the road. I mean, he he appears to be a top quality manager, and you can guarantee there'll be people knocking on his door very soon to to get him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we speculated Skell before after the Westmead win against Wexford. We're thinking. Could this be the result that now convinces Wexford, let's bring Joe Fortune, one of our own, with what he's done with Westmead in the last couple of seasons, in if there was going to be a change this summer? Like, I'm sure he's going to be considered one of the front runners here. David Herity is now available after leaving Kildare as well. Yeah. Well, I think if I... Um, obviously, when you're, when you're assessing a manager, you're assessing their team's performance first and foremost. And you're assessing their the kind of the way they carry themselves, their demeanour, the, you know, the way they speak to, to media. So Westmead have performed... You know, over the last number of years, they've been admirable in fairness. Um, every time Joe Fortune speaks, I, I, I like the guy. Like I like the way he speaks. He's he's very honest. He's kind of endearing to his players. I'd imagine um, he comes across very well, even when you know, unfortunately, the team shifts a bit of a hiding, which is not their fault because we you know we, we've gone through the the, the golfing class amongst players from Westmead and the Kilkenny's and so on, and he still comes across kind of kind of graceful and, and, and in good stead. So I'd imagine for the Wexford people below, it, like he's going to be definitely an option. Um, I read an article. I'm not sure what platform was actually on a few weeks ago about, I think it was from Wexford GA that there was five or six potential candidates. So he was one of them. Um, Keith Rossiter, the Trinity manager, was another kind of favourite amongst amongst the public. So I'd imagine they'll go, no, I'm just shooting the reason. I'd imagine they'll mm. go in-house this time because it's been a while. I think you'll have to go back as far as Liam Dunn, would I be right? To say since they've had one of yeah, their own managers. Yeah. Like mm. you're going back to, what year is that? 14, 15, something like that. So mm. you're nearing on eight, nine years. So I'd imagine there's probably a bit of a, a want amongst the public and the clubs to get someone in from their own uh, neck of the woods. And as, as things stand, I, I'd say he probably is uh, the front runner. But then again, there's people when they come available, uh, it's, it's hard to, to, to bypass them. I, who knows what Darren Gleeson's going to do? You know, mm. David Herity, who knows what he's going to do? So there's people in positions like who knows what managers, who've been managers of, of county teams over the last number of years that have left roles and were sitting idle if they were going to get... Um, you know, contacted as, as, as say and put the role. So, I'd say it's going to be an interesting space to watch. Yeah, does it look like an interesting county to take over, Murph? Because there is a certain feeling that maybe that team who may have well have peaked in 2019 as it transpired might be coming towards the end of a cycle now. Or do Wexford still have enough good hurlers within that group that would be an attractive prospect? No, I think it would be an attractive prospect for. Um for a certain caliber of manager like you know it's it that job wouldn't be for everyone and you could say that probably for every job in the country bar maybe the limerick one that you know you want to find the right fit for a job uh, there is great caliber of players and if you look at lads like you know who are who are seen as the elder states people there like you know the likes of lee chin and you know Dio keith and these lads like to me those lads still look like they still have a lot to offer like you know and i'm, I'm even probably even phrasing that wrong in what I'm saying. It's just, but these are the perceived elder states people of those. But like take injury out of the equation with those lads. Those have, those lads have a huge amount to offer for a few years for, for Wexford, you know? So, and that coming through with, look, we, we spoke with likes of Oshin Pepper and these lads coming through, like who have shown serious flair and potential likes of Rory O'Connor and these lads, obviously who's well established at this stage. Like they do have the hurdlers. And the one thing you'll get out of Wexford as well is we've seen it from the first night with, the, let's say with the Welsh Cup down below in, um, in, in, 
uh, Wexford, Wexford Park, like they have huge support, like, and and the crowd really does get behind them, and probably that was galvanised off the back of the like the likes of 2019 and bringing back that bit of silverware in the Leinster final. Wexford people are brilliant for following the team. They're probably very hard on themselves as well at times in terms of being critical because they have that tradition in the county of you know the records and just the tradition that they have. They're a very proud county. But what I think you get back from that pride is huge support. You know, people will give you time down there and they'll give you buy-in. I always remember going to Wexford Park or even in Kilkenny. Granted, we have a rivalry, but the, the the crowd were always really supportive of the team and the team responded to the crowd in that regard. And I think what was just missing that year is just that that just didn't appear to be there. That connection was kind of lost because the performances weren't there on the pitch. So it, it is understandable in some ways that the county board have opted for a change because they know when Wexford is going well, um, they bring huge energy to games. Okay, they mightn't turn up every day, but they do show form each year. You know, they cause teams serious problems. And this year, they just didn't cause any problems. So I think what the county board are looking for is, you know, they're not too far removed from that connection with the crowd and from those good times. So maybe a small tweak, trying to get it back on the road. Maybe that's what they're thinking before it maybe drifts a small bit too far and a bit of belief is lost in the county. Mm. Now, sometimes we're hard on James Scale on this podcast. This is a chance to balance the scale somewhat. This was an inspired moment from James Gale on Saturday morning. <laughs> With the terrible rain, I think there was a phrase, looks like rain, Ted, in some TV oh, show geez. back in the day. Fact check. So we went off and we did the fact check. And here's the relevant clip, which has been beautifully picked out by James Gale and used perfectly in context to make it. Look. Looks like rain, Ted. Now, Scal, oh, does, does this mean you've been watching Father Ted behind our backs or how did you know this reference? Listen to me, as bad not as you may think I am, I do pick up a certain amount of lines from when Tugmates <laughs> or friends are talking about Father Ted. <laughs> or I, said, I saw the bloody pond that had, had established itself in my field and went, this is a perfect opportunity now. To gain <laughs> some points back in the world of the, of the early pod. Jesus, <laughs> oh, that was good. I, actually, one of those ones, during your presence, sending the tweet, I was like, yeah, I'm happy with this one. <laughs> this will get me no hassle this will get me no abuse <laughs> so I said this is all good fun send <laughs> it was it was beautifully done and then on well Sunday done, yeah. we had another Father Ted moment I was unaware Murph was Murph apparently listens to far more radio than I do and had heard a discussion about this mm. where the Sunday game music until Sunday I didn't know it had been absolutely ripped off a banging 1960s pop tune from Spain <laughs> So I quite love the idea that some RTE composer was on his holly bops at some point, probably in Mallorca, sitting down. This comes on the radio and he goes, Do you know what? this would be the perfect tune if we ever bring out a song for our live GA coverage. So I thought that was glorious and I couldn't but think of another Father Ted reference at the moment that I've listened to this. I am convinced, Scal, if we do convince you to watch Father Ted, you will love the Eurosong version. This is, this is right in your wheelhouse. Well, I've asked people around the place, what's the best episode to watch? And I normally, when you have a kind of a series or a film, 
generally a scene or a certain episode to get picked out, you know, nearly unanimously. This fucking show, like everyone has a different element, a different <laughs> Graham Norton, like Brendan Grace. Someone was well, someone sent me on something about a bishop getting kicked up the hole. You would, like, you would, yeah. That's I, a two part though. But see, the best part about it, not to cut across you, the best part about it is like there's such uh you, you can just use these examples in every part of your life. Like as in I'd often use the Bishop Len Brennan one there getting kicked up the arse. It's like you know, something happens there and someone couldn't believe that it's after happening. Now, Skell, you won't get this, but like, basically they convinced Len Brennan, they kicked him up the arse and they convinced him it didn't happen because it'd be too outlandish for it to happen. It's ridiculous. There's no way it could happen. So like, I'd, I'd often use the circumstance of like, that someone is so baffled, something happened, they'd be like, oh, sure, it's like Len Brennan getting kicked up the arse. It's like, there's no way that could have just happened. So, but I have a group there, like I said, with the middle-aged men for a couple of lads at home and I, I asked, I said, uh, I sent on, the, the, the clip and I said what scene is this details please and it's Ted kicking Bishop Ben up the arse and I said why <laughs> why is he kicking him oh my god he said he lost the bet to his mortal enemy <laughs> that damn father Dick Byrne Dick yeah, yeah. And, and, and over like this is where it gets ridiculous he lost an over 80s indoor soccer game yeah over 80s yeah over 80s I had yeah. to read it again and go he says over 80s like 80 year old men like her yeah, 80 year old priest, yeah. priest yeah what yeah. the fuck is going on ah, that's a brilliant that's, that's an absolutely brilliant one Who else? I can't think of what's the Italian priest there that he only needs two nurses to go up a flight of stairs oh is he Father Sensi I think or something oh, like that he, uh, yeah Sensino or something Sensino yeah <laughs> the Italian priest and Father Jack uh, had been they thought he was on trial for Liverpool it turns out he was on trial in Liverpool so what are you telling me so the best episode uh, to watch is the Eurovision one is it uh, a lot of them are self-contained I wouldn't recommend the Len Brennan arc purely because you'd have to watch two episodes if you were to watch that because it obviously has the first part with the football and the second part with him getting kicked up the arse but yeah, like you'd um, enjoy that's what we were kind of half suggesting the Beast of Craggy Island was a good one to watch yeah. because there's sheep in it and stuff and like you might enjoy that one but it's also like there's rumours as to what the beast is like you know hang on go, go back go back why the fuck would I enjoy it because there's sheep in it <laughs> just, let's not just get into that <laughs> Two <laughs> words come out of that man's mouth. I apologise. That's just rolled out off the tongue there. Um, you're a yeah. man of the land. <laughs> there's, there's a, yeah, you're, yeah. There's actually someone someone uh, typed back to you there earlier that you might know something. Was it Culture Club that Matt Cooper has? You won't be invited onto Culture Club. But I was thinking you might be invited onto Agriculture Club. That could be something yeah, to be invited. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm feeling the country. <laughs> I'm not actually a full time farmer. Like people think I am. I'm actually not. Like, but in fairness, like I know we're gone completely off the point here. But in yes, fairness, in the, in the WhatsApp we would like send is are we happy enough to be on at four o'clock or whatever and you will sometimes send in the picture of the front loader of a tractor with two bales in front of it yes say, no four o'clock doesn't suit me i was doing too fast or say or a calf upside down the shed like what do you want us to think you never send us any of your building stuff like so yeah fair enough that is, that is a fabulous point morph and in this instance i am speechless yeah because <laughs> you've been caught yeah, yeah. <laughs> right here's my promise to you because i only just thought of this while we were saying it right so we have to go in and do a sound check and whatever else on thursday of this week what I will do is I will download an episode of Father Ted, probably the one with the sheep, and we can show it to you while we're waiting for all that stuff to happen on stage. Perfect. How's about that? That is good. That sounds good. That's, that's good. Our, the board guys to use a full yeah. episode of Father Ted. I'll see if I can put it in the big screen. If they can put a HDMI cable into my laptop and we stick it up, we'll do that. But let's see what yeah. happens. 
Let's do it. It is. Right. Okay. Let's get to the game. Uh, Timestamps are going to mean an awful lot to people this week on both YouTube and on the podcast where they go, <laughs> not sure I want 27 minutes of uh, chat about Father Ted, but here we go. Right. The game itself. Um, this doesn't need a whole lot of hype scale, really. Uh, when you consider last few years and the meetings that we've had in All-Ireland Finals have been very close between uh, Limerick and Kilkenny. Even last year when Limerick were, mm-hmm. I would say, overwhelming favourites going into the final. Uh, Limerick win 131 to 226. Uh, the, the 2019 game, which is a lot Last knockout championship game that Limerick have lost which is against Kilkenny in 2019 and Limerick just edged out Kilkenny in the quarter final the year before in 2018 and in the qualifiers Kilkenny won by three points in 2017 there's been only really a puck of a ball between them the only outlier in the results that we've had recently Skell is actually the most recent meeting which was the league final where Limerick uh, coasted the victory at Parky Cueve but in championship it's been three points or less between these teams for the last decade or so yeah, and I think when you're going through records and, and trying to reference previous games, like the ones you have to focus on is when everything's on the line. That's the championship game. The league is grand. You, you know, we always we talk about in this podcast how different teams prepare in different ways. Uh, the time of the year, obviously, with, with <clears throat> Limerick's time in their runs, etc. There's an awful lot of ch- chatter about that. So I <clears throat> I do put a bit, a bit of value on it. I don't put an awful lot of value. Like, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a, an absolute certainty that Limerick are going to win solely based off the league final. I just go back through like, years previous and look at what they've, matches previous over the last number of weeks and say like their value their value for, for the favourites take I just checked it there a while ago they're, they're four points favourites uh, on the spread in on the bookie side of things and I think you know what they've produced to date is, is kind of a fair reflection but again going back through the years like if you go back the last four previous championship appearances like have been as you said two points one point two points three points and it's two two that's the split like it's not Limerick winning all games it's Kilkenny Limerick Kilkenny Limerick so it looks like it's Kilkenny's turn this time. Um, my only concern is when I'm trying to kind of call the game and say, you know, how are Kilkenny going to beat Limerick? And it's the, it's the scoring from play situation. You know, if I look back on last year's final, they were at 217 from play against against Limerick. And if I ask myself the question, will they repeat that? I'm, I'm not so sure. You know, I just, I can't, they got 113 against Clare, I think, um, which is kind of below where you need to be at to, to kind of take over, over a team like, like Limerick. So, if, if you're looking at forwards and you're saying, right, Owen Cody has to have a massive game like he does every day, and look, he's one of these players that produces it every day, TJ has to have a massive game, but they're going to have to get massive games from their supporting cast. You know, uh, Hopefully everyone's be fit. I'm not sure what's the story with Massey Hion, Murphy Mitellis, Blanchfield, etc. Um, they need to get lots out of Wally Walsh when he comes on, John Billy Ryan, all, John Donnelly, all these lads, and they're going to have to perform. And it's kind of the same thing I said about Galway a couple of weeks previous when I said, can Galway beat Limerick? I said the same thing the unit has to perform because Limerick are so well oiled and I think there's probably an acceptance uh, I'd say amongst everyone nationally about that that if like Limerick Limerick would have to reach you know 95% you know 90% to, 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 to beat Kilkenny but I, I feel Kilkenny have to reach 100% now I know that's not thrown shade I just think that's been fair you know um, and so that's my big concern is can Kilkenny score enough from play to, uh, to dominate Limerick because Limerick again they got 216 against Galway which is, which is good shooting in today's game Galway got 1-9 you know, and we know, look, we know the situation second half there, but like if you're going to beat a team like Limerick, you're going to have to rattle a repeat of what Limerick or Kilkenny did last year's final, and if not more, because you're going to be you have to be getting 23, 24 points uh, cumulatively somehow from play to take them over. So it's an interesting game. But like I've I've made mistakes in the past, lads, by saying calling games against Kilkenny, and I'm just I'm still going to call Limerick, but I'm not, not the margin that the bookies are saying this is going to be. I'd say it's going to be tight affair solely because what's what's embedded in Kilkenny's DNA is that just that the, the ability to perform on a big stage and work hard and sustain that performance for the course of 70 minutes so again the evidence was shown the last against Clare they can do it for 70 odd minutes 
their, their oldest players were nearly working the hardest and a, a clip comes to my mind of TJ in the second half back on the uh, on, on his own 21 yard line clearing the ball winning free so that's that's kind of the the I would call it monumental effort that's going to be needed from everyone and the squad inclusive uh, to take down Limerick so looking forward to a good game Hmm. I'd say Murphy won't disagree with the fact that that kind of manic effort, aggression, taking the chances are exactly what Kilkenny have to do if they're going to win. And look, we saw a good bit of that against Clare the last time. I know you know so much focus is on the save by Owen Murphy at the end, but we also talked last week about the blocks, the hooks, the kind of necessities that are there outside of talent that Kilkenny brought into that semi-final. They're going to need that in spades on Sunday. Yeah, like I mean, Kilkenny... Kilkenny know all this and it's not a case that Kilkenny are feeling um, slighted that they're going in as underdogs. Like, I mean, inevitably, there's a team going for four in a row here. Like, regardless what happens before this match, Limerick are going to continue to be favourites and Kilkenny will continue to come in exactly in the position they're in. Uh, and they'll be fine with that as well. And they also know that it's going to take an absolutely monumental task to go and beat them. Not, I don't say monumental as in an unrealistic and that they need loads of things to go their way. But they just know that every player is going to have to hit the heights of their game to go and beat them. Um, but I don't think any any player, if you ask them, is under no illusion if I'm to go win an All-Ireland that I'm just going to walk my way to an All-Ireland and coast it. Like, all the players that are there are part of the panels. They all want to be playing against the best players. They want to beat the best teams and they want to be there on their merits. So the idea that you're playing this Limerick team now and that, you know, you, you, you know the team has to function, as Skehel said there, at 100%. Kilkenny are under no illusion with that. And like, I... I hold my hands up like I mean of course Limerick are the absolute favourites but me as a Kilkenny man like before the final I fail to give in to myself and say that like I can't see anything other than Kilkenny winning just because that's what it's about like you know as in when Limerick went to play um, Galway in, in 2018 like Galway were the favourites but if you were to ask Limerick fans were they going up the road believing they're going to be bet by Galway no you don't that's not why you go to all Ireland finals you go there believing that something magical could happen here today and it only takes 70 minutes of hurling and all I have to ask myself in that for it to happen do Kilkenny have the players and, and I believe they do do I have the panel they absolutely do and something the biggest thing I took from the match against Clare was that when the game was in the balance Kilkenny were able to introduce the exactly the right player each time to bring the flow back towards Kilkenny. So like the first example I saw was Keen Kenny coming in for John Donnelly. And I was up and going, that, that's not a like for like swap. You know, that's not bringing on a player. And it's also not a swap whereby you're just throwing somebody into the mix. Kilkenny saw that, okay, Clare are running at, at us now. We're after striking a small few long balls. We need to calm it down and we need to carry this ball through the middle. Keen Kenny, great player in close contact, great sidestep, is able to carry the ball. First ball he got 30 seconds on, pops it off, ball over the bar and then gets the score himself. You have Richie Hogan brought on again to bring that little bit of, I suppose, dynamic movement inside the full forward line. Like all the players had an influence when they came on. So when I saw that, I said, well, actually, in order to try and sustain 70 minutes with Limerick, you're going to have to produce something like that. And then the other indications I would see is that, you know, Galway were able to cause problems for Limerick and, and undoubtedly able to cause problems. Well, Kilkenny were ahead of this Galway team, you know, so they caused problems for Galway in their own right. Uh, Clare went and bet Limerick this year. Granted, at a different period of the year, nevertheless, they went and they bet them. Kilkenny went and bet Clare. You know, so it's... I, I genuinely believe that if we were going into this match and Clare were playing on Sunday, people would probably be close to saying it's 50-50 because a lot of the people outside of Limerick would, would want to believe that Clare are going to win it. Probably at the moment, people are probably saying it's, a, you know, 75-25, maybe Kilkenny and Limerick. That's, you know, Limerick are maybe even further than that. I'm not sure, but... It's just funny that Kilkenny are coming in in such a position that will suit them down to the ground that nevertheless that they've performed against teams um, 
there's still that element of doubt that they can go and beat Limerick. But they won't believe that. They know that they can go and beat them. And like I said, they know that things have to go really right for them and that they have to stifle Limerick in a few areas. Um, I'm going to ask this in an if circumstance, Murph, and I will ask yeah. Ellen if after that. If David Blanchfield isn't able to play, and at the moment there's plenty of speculation that he has a chest injury or possibly a rib injury and won't be able to play that come out of the Clare game, who plays there instead of him in the halfback line if he's missing? I'd say Corcoran just slots, slots right in for him. Um, like for like player, really, like two two top class players, like and Derek Corcoran is just, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant player um, all around. And, you know, I, I, it's, there wasn't a whole lot between the two of them, like really, um, in terms of both of them are very similar and both of them had played really well in the Leinster final. Just Blanchfield probably had that bit more of a presence in the Leinster final and maybe so in training as well afterwards that subsequently got him his position. Um, it'd be really disappointing for David Blanchfield because as far as I'm concerned at the moment, it's between him and Burns for the right half back for an all-star. Like he's really, he's really pushing hard there. Um, I know people might disagree with that, but look, he's in the conversation for it and really strong game. Like he just, he's one of those players who, he mightn't be mentioned afterwards for a man of the match or he mightn't be mentioned, you know, too much in the newspapers in the day after, but gets through a huge amount of work and, you know, stifles a lot of of really important positions on the pitch where, you know, when the ball lands, he's in there, he's getting involved, he's stopping the opposition team from getting a hold of the ball and going on the attack. Does a lot of nitty gritty work, similar enough to the way Conor Fogarty was highlighted the last day against there. David Blanchfield does a lot of that stuff. So it'd be unfortunate for him if if he isn't fit for Sunday, he's really playing well. But I do believe that Corkin can go in there and fit in really well, exactly the way that Blanchfield fills that position and fill it in a very similar way. The two boys are six foot five. They're very rangy players. They're happy going forward. They're well able to defend and they're great in the sky. So I do believe both of them are really good. But I think maybe just Blanchfield has that small bit more experience just at Corkin at the moment. Um, and it does count for something in, in an All-Ireland final. Hmm. be tough for Blanchfield to miss this Murph because last year I thought his league form was really good his championship form has been good this summer you would have thought that coming off the field last week he's very much set to start the final uh, to miss it with injury would be very harsh after uh, what he's done in his kind of breakthrough couple of years with the team here yeah exactly um, he's put in a lot of a lot of hard yards like last year in the league he was probably the young player of the league really and just didn't manage to keep pushing on then into the championship um, like you said this year now he's really established himself um, and it, it, you know if he, if he had this year and one or two more years together that's really him established as a Kilkenny player and you know being in that half back line like you could see him doing a decade or so in that position um, because he just seems to be such a strong player and playing in an All-Ireland final of this magnitude against Limerick would, would stand to him a huge amount regardless of the result it would stand to him a huge amount so look on a personal level, it'd be very disappointing if he's out. I only heard really after the game, you know, talking to people in the street and stuff that saying he was out. I didn't even realise during the game that he had picked up an injury. So um, I, I don't really know what the situation is. And I don't think Kenny have really confirmed yet. I could be wrong, but I don't think they've confirmed that he is out. So look, when the team is named, it'll be disappointing if he's not there um, for all involved um, for his, as a Kenny supporter and as a fellow look, who knows David Blanchfield, he'd, he'd love to be there. But we'll wait and see, I suppose, how the week plays out that he, he could very well be named Friday evening and none of this um, none of this even matters. Like this conversation doesn't doesn't even equate. Mm. Um, I hope he's on the pitch I hope that Declan Hannon is on the pitch as well Skell that's the if I'm asking you is if Declan Hannon doesn't get back in time and 
John Kiley was saying last week in the media day, and I appreciate that was like whatever, 10 or 11 days out from the final, that he's saying, look, we don't know. We're probably going to be in the middle of next week. We'll see how much he can do in the pitch and then we'll test it out and see if he can actually play. If Hannum was to miss out, would you keep Will O'Donoghue at six or did Limerick lose too much in midfield by moving him against Galway? I think they lost a bit, if, to be fair. I, I think, I suppose, maybe the second half when Limerick... <laughs> it's, it's actually sounds strange coming out of my mouth. Limerick were so dominant in the second half that you it's hard to find issues or weaknesses with their team. But I, I certainly wouldn't call it a weakness. Like, I thought he did pretty well. Like He's, he's a dominant force there, very physical. Um, I, I don't think he gets enough kind of, I suppose, praise for his skill level that he's able to... With, with him going forward. Everyone associates with with kind of this, this battering ram, breaking up plays mainly kind of being a defensive operation type person, but he's deadly going forward. And I just thought maybe the midfield, especially in the first half, missed a touch, you know. Hmm. But like that, look, Limerick got, got, got right back on song in the second half and just, I suppose, ran to an emphatic victory. It's the only way you can explain it. So there's no real evidence to say that he was the cause or root of any issue that, that Galway had in the first half. I'm not fair. If Declan Hannon is injured, and again, I find it hard to see, like, when they called him being out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that just kind of said, how, how can they call it so early? You know what I mean? What, what, what kind of, what kind of issue is it with his knee? And so you start thinking, I'm sure it can't be a cruciate ligament or anything majorly serious. It's something that can heal itself. So you're saying maybe maybe it is just a case of time. So it, he's had a few weeks now. So and I hope he's playing. Like I, I want to see him on the pitch and keep breaking records as, as a, you know as a captain, etc. Uh, with lifting cups and whatnot. But um, uh, I just I, I, I can't state enough, right? How important it is to be sharp. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I, I do always say when players are injured, like, you, you need a right run into games, especially the big games where the pitch is fast and it's, it's, you're playing the best opposition in the country. And, like, what has Declan done over the last number of weeks? I, because it's an injury, it's very hard for him to be mobile. Can he go on the ball wall? Fair enough, right? But how sharp is he? Is he his usual self? Um, that's a question that none of us can answer. Um, and that's, that's for the management team and they're in the best position possible to answer that. But, again, from, from a neutral supporter here, I truthfully want to see everyone. I want to see <clears throat> Mullen, hopefully... His, his hand is fine after last day. I want to see Blanchford. I want to see Hand, etc. All these players, and then you just go toe to toe. Um, if he's available and he's fit, and like he's got a baseline of work done, you have to put him in. I think. I think. I think Limerick becomes stronger straight away when you're putting Will into his back, his usual position, and put Declan into the in centre back. It's only if there's a question over his his physicality, like with regards to his knee or his hurling sharpness, then, then that's where you're kind of tossing a coin. But I would, I, I'd probably expect him to see him out there. Like, he didn't look in too much pain after the Galway game. Again, you, you take little nuggets, you look at his body language, and he seemed to be fairly mobile, going around clapping hands with lads, like nothing too too serious, thankfully. No, obviously, ailments or crutches and whatnot. So, mm. um, yeah, I'd expect him to be playing. Um, hopefully he is. And uh, he's a hugely, he's a vital cog to them, because what he does in big games is he provides just moments of calmness. And again, like I just pictured the Munster final last year when he got that point your injury time like that that's that's just you know a colossal act from your captain and centre back so the, the, the game is called for that the, these type of games call for those moments and say when things are kind of going erratic around you that you have people like Declan Hannon who can save the ship and come up with big scores big times because he's a great link man for Limerick um, so yeah time will tell Mm. Uh, Murph we maybe didn't get a chance really properly to talk about Dan Morrissey last week and we were speculating ahead of the game that they could go like the league final put him at six and just kind of go right you've done this before and we're going to trust you does it maybe actually speak the more I thought about it during the week actually to what a good job he's done at three and I know we've got a few listeners and we'll go to their comments in a little bit who've asked about him potentially even being a hurler of the year with the way that he's played a fullback this year maybe not switching him to six actually speaks to how good he's been in the three position yeah, like, I mean, a co- I don't know, it's a controversial statement, but in my opinion, it's harder to find a number three than it is to find a number six. Like, six can play a more influential um, 
role on the pitch obviously because they're further up they're more in the ball winning area they will most likely hold a lot more ball during the game but number three is a very hard position to play and we've seen it with teams over the years it's 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 not simple like if you're if you're out number six you can kind of drift onto ball and you can kind of find your way into the game and you can work off the midfielders and you can track back and work off the full back line but it's it's not one-dimensional playing full-back, but you're standing on invariably on the edge of the 14. You're marking a top-class forward. The balls, there's lethal balls coming into you, and the ball that's coming in, if you don't control it or know what to do in the right situation, a goal situation is going to come from it. And if you look at like my my memory of the game against, um, against uh, Galway with Limerick, is just Dan Morrissey just making really good decisions. Like He's not going out there... He doesn't care if he's man in the match or not man in the match or anything. He's going out there just to do the job that he's meant to do and he's happy to do that job and does it really well. And like, I remember him running for a ball with Conor Whelan. Big man. And like, I don't think the first thing we say about Dan Morrissey is pace. Not that he, we think he's slow, but, you know, we know other people for pace. In a foot race out to where the Hill 16 made the Cusick stand in the second half, uh, no, it's actually in the first half. Dan Morrissey and Conor Whelan running out. Dan Morrissey just about reaches there first, gets a pull and pulls on the ball out towards the 45 over the sideline just to basically kill that ball dead, let the Limerick backs reset and then work from there. He didn't think, I have to go out here and rise this ball to on Conor Whelan and he knew all I have to do is get here first and get... And it might sound simple and it might sound like, why would you be impressed by that? In the heat of a moment you know, under pressure from Conor Whelan, that's a really good decision and that's just a simple idea because Conor Whelan has to do a lot more there than you have to do. You, all you have to do is stifle him and get the ball out. He has to get the ball, take you on, put it over the bar. He could hang it up in the net. But I just think things like that shows why Dan Morrissey, which I think you're right and it's a great point, that maybe they don't move him out there because they only have one or two players that can play full back, but they maybe have a few more that can play a centre back. And the influence of Dan Morrissey standing there is, I suppose, you could equate it to what the job Declan Hannon does at centre back in that. He fits the glove really well. He fits it there. He he controls the area, and you know he's going to make smart decisions. And like as for everything else, his skill and everything is undoubted. You never see him make a mistake. You just don't see Dan Morrissey make a mistake. So um, I think it's a fair point. I think you're onto something that maybe we were a little bit naive thinking that centre back was so important for them that they had to fill it that Dan Morrissey would come out. Maybe they were so concerned about not concerned, but they're so they they put so much value on fullback that listen, this fellow's doing such a good job for us there. Maybe that's where his true value is. Hmm. Uh, in a kind of a related note, Skell, how do Limerick deal with Owen Cody, who's coming in in fantastic form? What we saw from him against Clare, being a difference maker, seems the championship has gone on. He's been scoring throughout, but you know, really, really important performance the last day in the semi-final. How are Limerick going to curb his influence? Like he's, I suppose, he's always <clears throat> been a, a great finisher, a great skill player. Um, like we, and we noted here previously that he's he's got, he's gotten quite physical, and I think he used that physicality very well. Against Clare the last last uh, over the last semi final, like particularly like w- when he gets the ball, he was there in front. He was able to shield lads off, shoulder lads away, secure the ball, either get a score, assist, or draw a foul. So there was there was something productive coming off Owen Cody every time he got the ball the last day. Now the difference is with with, with Owen Cody against Clare and Owen Cody versus Limerick is he's now going to meet people who are as physically imposing as he is. So I just think that Conor Wheel and Owen Cody they're not they're not the same type of player exactly, but they're very very similar traits. Um, and Conor Whelan did cause Barry Nash tr- pr- troubles. He caused Mike Casey an awful lot of trouble in the first half. But then when he went on Dan Morrissey, there was a, the trouble kind of subsided a bit. And, and that continued in the second half, really. So I'm thinking, do they, do they put Dan Morrissey uh, you know, on, on, on Cody? And because 
Owen Cody is so important. And like, and I mean this with the greatest respect. If you can somehow, you know, negate his influence and, and limit him to a, a point or so, you go you go a long way to Mickey Kinney. Because then I, cause he, I think he got one, was it 1-5 last day? Hmm. Yeah. Was it 1-5? I was TJ 1-5. He got, sorry, TJ, they were basically one goal and 19 between them, weren't they, as I recall? Yeah, so, was it 12 uh, points for TJ? I think Ballahill, no, I think Ballahill. No, sorry, Mull- got, Mullen got two points, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I think TJ got 10, I think, and Mullen got two. No, TJ got 12, Mullen got two. Yeah. And yeah, it was some one, one five from yeah. yeah. So, so that that to thinking that like TJ is going to finish up with again nine or ten because I always give like eight frees regardless in every game mm-hmm. to the free takers, give or take. And when you're, and when you're someone as accurate as TJ, he's going to nail nail nine tenths of them to be honest. Uh, and so if you could, again, as I said, yeah, go back to an early point about the, the points from play or the scores from play for Kenny. If you can stop Owen Cody, you go a long way to doing it. And so I think that's probably... And I don't know, Limerick historically would never have been a team who put major focus on individuals. Um, they, I, they come across... They, they strike us as a team who focus on themselves, their own setup, their mm. own kind of their own play, their own game plan, and then let, let, let it be you be. And I, I'm just wondering, do, do they actually... I won't say vary from it a bit, but do they go and, and give some extra attention to Owen Cody? Because I think in last year's final, I could be open to correction, he only got like a point or two. I, I, I think, think so. Yeah, I think I don't think he was very well marshaled. In fairness, but then I think Masikyong got one, one, Billy Ryan, etc. So, so it, was, it all links together. Will like how if if Owen Cody doesn't have the best day or has a great battle with someone and, and only comes away at a point or two, you need Billy Ryan, Masikyong, John. Dunn, you, them lads have to. Tom Field all have to raise their games up and, and carry the rest of the load. That's just a necessity when you come to a final against a team like Limerick. So, I think he's probably the same kind of person in terms of kind of wheeling Owen Cody, same preparation. So. I, I, I'd imagine we might see uh, Dan Morris pick him up. Okay. Um, how would you deploy him? Not that you'd want to give any advice to Limerick here, Murph, but if you were John Kiley or Paul Kinnark at the moment, how would you try and strap on Cody? Um, I kind of just had it in my head that the likes of Mike Casey would follow him. I think they're going to want to have um, Barry Nash a little bit freer to go and roam up the pitch if that's what he so pleases. So, look, I think they're going to accept that on Cody will be in and around the goal and whether Dan Morrissey or Mike Casey are picking him up, I think they'll just keep it to, listen lads, we don't mind, we trust either one of you to pick him up here. And again, as Scal said, I actually saw a few, I think Limerick people saying last week that they weren't happy about people saying that they let the system, they trust, like that Limerick trust the system to, you know, look after the problems. And like that, that's not an insult on any player. That's saying that Limerick have such a plan that they all invest and they all put so much into the plan that, it's not a case of them deploying individual man markers throughout the field that they do it individually like that. It's a case that they know that, well, if everybody is doing their job, this person shouldn't be shooting the lights out anyway. And within that, we want to make sure he's marked the whole time by either Mike Casey or Dan Morrissey and on you go. I think it's it's very much, that's the way they'll do it. Um, Kilkenny, like, you mean, you could, you could very well see Kilkenny throw something at Limerick that they won't expect. So, a few things like that if Kilkenny are looking at it going okay well we expect Mike Casey or Dan Marcy to take up on Cody maybe on Cody sits out for the first seven or eight minutes out around half forward line we put in two lads that maybe they're not expecting to be in there and we just ask a few questions and see how they react and then as it opens up a small bit and maybe when Limerick don't notice we'll send on Cody back in and him and Mossy Keown will hang in around there or maybe it might be a variety of TJ and Mossy and Owen Cody drift out I don't think you're going to see Owen Cody stay in there beached on the on the 14 yard line 
for the whole game because Kilkenny have to cause Limerick problems they're going to have to throw something at Limerick that maybe Limerick weren't expecting and what are we expecting? We're expecting Uncody to be in around the goal doing his normal job and I think that's where we're going to see the bit of variety from Kilkenny and maybe get him to come out the pitch a small bit further because we saw in the league final himself and Billy Drennan the lads were a little bit suffocated inside there when the Limerick system got to them so that's where the benefit of the league final will come through and I think Kilkenny will go okay we didn't reap much reward from this how do we reap reward from these players uh, for the final? Well, Skell, you're the ultimate out-of-the-box thinker. You love a bolter. If this was to happen, Owen Cody comes out just a little bit. Got a gap in the inside forward line to put someone up there. Mossy probably plays full forward, you would think. Any bolters you can think of that you'd stick in there to try and confuse things? Um, but in this instance, it's, it's difficult. Uh, because <clears throat> while he was, I know he's done it before, 11 years previous, but uh, he seems to be... He seems to have assumed uh, the kind of impact sub role. I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning manner. But he seems when he comes on, he comes on as a substitute and then creates a bit of havoc for opposition. And that's working well. So I can't see him starting unless there's an injury. Now, Massey can't come off the last day. Or is he is he fit to go? I, I haven't heard that he's injured anyway. So I, I presume he's yeah. fit to go. Yeah, you, you presume he's good, he's good to start as well. Um, it's 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 hard to answer that one with because a lot of the Kikini players are, have similar styles, similar statures. You know, pacey, strong players. Like so, no one kind of stands out to me where I'd say, "Yeah, I'll throw you in and just cause a bit of a bit of bit of havoc for for opposition." But like that, like I, I don't think I, I genuinely believe I don't think Limerick actually care who goes in anywhere, whether it's Galway, Kilkenny, Clare, you name it. They just play the they play their own way. So I don't know. I don't know. Can I see a move that Kilkenny will adopt that necessarily, uh, you know, quote unquote, upset Limerick? I can't. I can't see that kind of instance. So I'm afraid, Will, in this instance, I've no bolter. Oh well, yeah. it maybe speaks to what Kilkenny have, the, the options going to this weekend. You can click your pen at this point because it's going to be me who says it, I suppose. It's under the couch. One second, I'll give me a pen. Go on. Fell under the couch. <laughs> Got it. Okay. That was a big bang there a few minutes ago. That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Murph, I expect the Hugh Lawler ends up on Galan because that seems to make the most sense. Mm. Where does Mikey Butler go? Sure, he probably sticks with Flanagan does he uh, it's like Tommy Walsh does provide very similar traits to um, to Mikey Butler as well in that fuck yeah in that uh, <laughs> that was the me click I didn't click it that was up the line yeah you held that out of the screen now Will click it <laughs> um, what was I going to say yeah but so like the, the options you have there is like that basically obviously enough uh, Limerick play with Gillan sitting almost on the six yard box Flanagan in front of them on the 14 and then Peter Casey standing out that bit further shooting out uh, Tommy Welch is probably suited to go with Peter Casey there and do that running out role and so on but like you'd be happy enough as well that if 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 Mike E. Butler was following Peter Casey that Peter Casey was leading them into these groups of players where the ball is because Mike E. Butler is well able to come out with the ball in those situations as well but I just think that what Seamus Flanagan provides in terms of you know on, a, on any given day, Seamus Flanagan can turn up and score six points from play. And we've seen it in days where he just turns up and he's getting the right ball and he's well able to perform. Out of respect for him, I think that's where they'll put him. They'll put Mikey Butler on him to say, listen, right, Hugh Lawler, funnily enough, has gone really well with Gillan in terms of a matchup, you know, as, as best as any team could do. Um, and then if we're going to look at the next possible score and threat, we're looking at Seamus Flanagan here and that's where Mikey Butler goes. After that then... You know, you have Tommy Walsh following Peter Casey. Um, so I think that's that's the way Kilkenny will go. And they'll be happy that the likes of Hugh will be starting deep there. And, you know, again, that threat is going to be there from that aerial ball coming in for for, for Galan that he could just ghost in behind. Not that Hugh Lawler hasn't experienced breathing previously. He'll be well-worn. So I think that's the way Kilkenny will match up. Um, and always with the carrot of, 
you know, lads, listen, at the end of the day, you're all good enough to go and mark these lads. That's what we believe. If he gets split up at any stage, grab a man and go with him and, and don't be too worried about it. Hmm. Uh, where would you use him, Scal? Um, I was kind of similar. So we, this, we spoke with this uh, last week and we were saying, who would, you, who would you deploy against Galan? Because he's the main threat at the minute. But again, like Murphy's hitting the nail in the head again. Like Flanagan has this ability. And they're all big game players, that's the thing. So like Hegarty is a is a big game player, Glenn's a big game player, so is Flanagan. So they could potentially hit you. If you mark one or two of them, does it like can get seven points? <laughs> you know, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. They have class in every situation, every aspect of the field. So the more I thought about this during the week, uh, last week I was saying, sure, does it really make that much of a difference? And I mean that in a, in a, in a good way. Like if you put Hugh Lawler on Glenn or Flanagan, does it make that an awful lot of difference? And the only thing I kept, I kept drawing to myself back to was, was the high ball. Like we don't we don't normally see Seamus Flanagan going up field in big high ball in dangerous situations. He's normally an oncoming runner who spins out and either shoots or passes. Whereas Glenn in his uh, his form at the moment is deadly at winning high ball, ghosting behind you. So that's why I'd be I'd be siding towards Hugh Lawler. If this is solely from a goalkeeper's perspective, wanting that protection in front of you. Uh Hugh was a great athlete, so he'll stem the runs for Glenn. He's got pace to match. Uh, he's actually deceptively quick for such a big man wherever he gets it. Um, so like you're saying to himself, right, he can play on the three position and he can go to the corners when Galan makes those runs. So he got all the actors you could say that would, would lend itself to towards going towards negating, negating Galan. And like that, Butler is just this, like he's kind of the, the terrier type person. You know, the, the guy who's just who's on your heels all day, spoiling, hurling. And what he does as well, that we've seen in the last couple of games, uh, specifically the goal game, his goal and the last day, is he goes forward and he provides an extra kind of dimension if you want to call it that for, for Kilkenny in the sense that he's he's moving forward he's given the opposition something to think about so where we saw Tony Kelly going back towards his, towards his own goal following Mikey Buckler the question I asked myself now is will we see Fennigan go back that far and you, Peter Casey will you see them you probably will because it's part of the system anyway so he's going to go go attack it with, with a, an air of freedom I'd imagine because he's in really good form he's in all-star form that's for sure so I think my, I think both Lawler and Butler have huge Similarities, not physically, but but with the way they're playing, going forward, Hugh Lawler last day, Mikey Butler going forward, tight markers, athletic, pacey, and good ball players. So I, I, I think, well, it doesn't really, truthfully speaking, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but I would side with Butler or with uh, Lawler Division Square solely because of high ball. That's it. Hmm. Um, an hour in I think it's a good time to probably bring in some of the listener questions that have come in last week I think was the highest ever viewership that we've had on the video on YouTube I think Murph particularly I think he did about 17,000 after the semi-final on Saturday then back with 18,000 the night afterwards he's uh, he's an OTB rating guarantee Paul Murphy now at this stage so um, fantastic to have such an audience and they all listened as well I hate doing the whole thing of you know lads if you could just give us a like on the way out and you know leave a comment in there it makes a big difference but there's about 200 likes in the video. The live chat was rammed and there was a whole lot of comments afterwards and just goes to show it helps a lot with the numbers afterwards. It helps us out a lot if uh, you leave comments. So this week I thought, right, let's go to the Instagram family and see what they want to bring to the party this week. Evan Ahern 06, should Lawler take Flanagan and Butler on Galan or the other way around? I think the guys have probably answered that in quite a bit of detail a moment ago. So it goes from that, you know, tactical innovations to things like this. Connor Duggan asked Murph, is he shook after his big day out in Dungarvan yesterday? Oh, I didn't actually. Um, very shook. sensible. I mean, this is going to be boring. Yeah, well, we went. Elaborate. Say what? I said, you shook. Elaborate. Why, how, why are you shook, Murphy? 
No, I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to answer, Skell, if you weren't fucking wasting me time for asking the question twice. Like, Doug asked the question here, and you've asked it a second time. Um, no, we were going out for a team day yesterday where we went down and we played Dungarvan. Right, good match now, actually, in fairness. Um, but we were going for points afterwards, but I got absolutely rocked with a dead leg about 10 minutes to go. And I've learned from previous experiences, horsing a heap of points into you when getting a dead leg sets it back by at least 10 days. So I... Uh, I pulled the pin on it, but I got a few texts from a few lads this morning. All right, they were a little bit ropey, uh, so mm-hmm. I think I was I was best um, I was best uh, stay away from. It. We actually had a presumably Connor Duggan. Sorry, that was the name, wasn't it? Connor Duggan that was yeah. gave the question. Yeah. yeah, presumably he was at the match yesterday. We actually we we had a right bit of crack during the game and a bit of a scrap broke out during the game. It was all friendly. Like the match was actually really good and really worthwhile for both of us. But randomly a scrap broke out during the middle of it. <laughs> About twelve players were involved. The usual crack like I mean, lads were pulling and dragging, fellas hurls were flying, few lads were getting the jerseys ripped, but nothing serious. And uh, the referee was from East Cork, they brought a neutral referee for it, but the referee was from East Cork and he came in and he said, Instead of booking everyone, he just said, Right lads, twelve E, come in here. <laughs> so there's twelve of us standing there. And he was like uh, Right, lads, listen, you're all hurling championship in two weeks. Just relax. No point in anyone getting injured. <laughs> it was number eight for Dungarvan. I can't remember his name, but he just, he was wound up and he said, ah, fuck it, it's brilliant. I love a bit of that. <laughs> and sure, the whole office just started laughing. We went, all right, come on, we'll go back and start playing. And there wasn't a bad stroke pulled in the game, in fairness, I put, uh, yeah, good old crack. But no, sorry, to answer your question, I had uh, no points yesterday in Dungarvan, unfortunately, which is a great town to go uh, for a few points in. So He's if you're never there, sure. I highly recommend it. He's not shook at all. Uh, question here. Did Skell get out past Crow Park Hotel security with two points in his hands just before <laughs> Galway against Limerick? <laughs> one, of them, one of them points is humor. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you were repaying the parking, were you? Um, uh, sorry, the Crow Park Hotel. That was the one, was it? Hmm. Yeah. No, in that. fairness, we were all doing jobs there. I was looking after Aiden and Grace, in fairness. She, we got yeah. a chair for Grace so she could sit down. Pregnant woman she is. I, I got the points. Two uh, for 40 minutes for points. Yeah, and I picked up, uh, I just finished getting the points. The next thing, I was just turning away and Aiden Hart texted me to get, get him a pint bottle. <laughs> get back into the fucking queue again, <laughs> get the pint bottle. But then I was hot for hands. So I, 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 got, I grabbed a fella I met in Cheltenham last year and said, here, carry these with me. <laughs> and we blazed by security. So yeah, the answer to the question is yes. We, yes, you did. Yeah, uh, respect for now. All the big questions this week at the Instagram RN80. Massive GA question I don't think has ever been answered before. What's your match day sandwich, lads? Oh, God, big question. Yeah. Match day sandwich. I'll be honest, it's a while since I've made a sandwich now going. going yeah, mine, to, is, mine is bacon and ketchup. That is good, though. That lasts well, and that's mm. a good one, cold. Um, bacon, ketchup, and on, on, on brown loaf with the tea. Oh, Jesus, hard bit. Jeez, you're right. I don't even want to open my mouth now because that's that's a good combo. Um, I'd be a bit of a ham and coleslaw man now, but coleslaw wouldn't last in the car and it's warm. Yeah. That's the problem. Especially yeah. this time of year. League, coleslaw's fine during the league, but... A bit of tin the cold box. So it's, if you break out the cold box, though, that's when people know that you're serious about what you're doing. There's actually a good <laughs> clip of someone in the stand. Is it in the Kerry match yesterday? Did you see that on Twitter? I might send it on to you. Someone with an actual mug a proper flask the whole lot so they were actually having proper cups of tea in in a mug full on ready for the game that's definitely, the preparation definitely, definitely from Kerry is it? yeah that's, I that's prepared can't remember. I can't remember I'll find it and I'll send it on to you but that's that's the level to aspire to now nice. it really is uh, right let's go to more match based questions I think they were the non-match match based ones oh, actually sorry there's one other non-match based one let's just you know bring a bit of levity to all this 91 Edo. 
Ask Murphy if Arsenal are now going to win the league next season. I'd like to believe they will, but I like I, I'm kind of one of those ones now. Like it's hard to look past Man City. Um, but you've got Living Hope. Rice, you've well, got Brian Havertz. Rice. Yeah, good Irish player and got um, Havertz <laughs> and got Timber as well there from Ajax. So mm-hmm. uh, there's actually a good cohort of Kilkenny lads who support Arsenal, funny enough. Uh, Tommy well, who else Arsenal. supports them? Tommy, uh, Owen Cody supports Arsenal. Henry supports Arsenal. Um, I don't know if there are many more there now. There's a good few lads though. Like I was on a trip there before Christmas and uh, November. Damien Comer is a good Arsenal man. Alton Harney of Roscommon, Sean Finn, like there's fucking serious Arsenal lads around the place now. Hmm. So uh, and and Damien Comer is a fair man to travel to an Arsenal game as well. I think he went to about three this season. So um, and my my only Arsenal story, or my other Arsenal story would be we also had a penalty shootout uh, in Carton House before on a training weekend, and lads had to wear soccer jerseys. And sure, Henry being Henry had to outdo everybody and more. 0-4 Invincibles Arsenal jersey signed by the team. <laughs> it's sickening, yeah. It's, and he won the penalty shootout then. It's sickening your shake now. But uh, yeah, yeah. So sorry, it's only Arsenal tangent there. I think we OBG a couple of pods after the All-Ireland final. This could well be a pod where we try and pick a best Arsenal supporting 15 from the GA by the end of it. So I've kind of marked that down as a tentative option as a pod yeah, towards yeah. the end. Uh, right. Some, uh, let's see. The rest of the questions are all based around the game, I think, here on Instagram as I scroll up and down here. Uh, ah, here's a nice one for you. Uh, coming in from Shane Wallahoe. Uh, Murphy and Skell's favourite All-Ireland memory so Skell give us your favourite All-Ireland memory presumably it could be uh, about what you remember or what you enjoyed going to a game or Michael D. Higgins telling me my you're very large <laughs> 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 I'm sure I can go to sports file and probably find a photo here but he what, so, was, he, what, what was the size I, differential here I, I, I didn't know what to call him like you know what I mean I'm so, you'd be used to watching American television they're always saying Mr. President and I, I, I've never heard him being called Mr. President you know no, it's just so I, just called, I just said how are you Mike yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say to him like do you know what I mean oh, I, don't uh, know I don't know what to say to him Mike like don't even, <laughs> even call him Mike that's the problem Fergal Moore was, was the caption at the time and he was walking you know he does the introduction or whatever you call it mm. yeah, yeah whatever and he goes this is James and I said how are you Mike and he goes Oh, you're very large. <laughs> and he kept walking. Good looking. That's normal. But like, as far as passed me, he gave me this look as if, you know, kind of disappointment. Yeah. Why, why'd you call him Mike? Like, why'd you call him Mike? Yeah. Look at my Twitter handle, actually. Look at my Twitter uh, profile yeah. picture. I, I think I have um, the president, Mr. Michael D. Higgins, yeah. So you, actually, you actually do. So hold on. I'll put this up on screen now for a moment. And for the watching in a second. Yeah, I've actually found a photo of you with the president and his good wife. Um, you went to the Oris. Presumably, yeah. he just have the Galway team in for a bit of a yeah that reception. Was, that, I think that I think that's, a, that's kind of a regular occurrence now. Uh, okay, maybe COVID person after that. We never we went. You know, we never got the invite. Harry couldn't bring you riffraff up there. He's up around Galway, isn't he? he? He lives up around Galway, doesn't he? Yeah, he lives, he's Galway. Yeah, I think he's a chairman originally, isn't he? Yeah, and he was from. I think he was born in Limerick, but sure, Limerick were up there as well. Definitely, they did. They did a stint there, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, I'll find this now. Go on. You have a quick think, Murph, while I'm saving this photo uh, to pull into the stream here. What's your favorite All Ireland memory then? My favorite All Ireland memory. Um, I did, it's kind of. I suppose I was trying to flick between one or two. Um, one of my favourite ones was Richie scoring a goal against, scoring against Brendan Cummins in 2011 because it was kind of, I'd never played in front of the full house in Crow Park at that stage. So that was the first mm. full 82,000. 
and Richie getting the goal in the second half, it was it was an incredible goal, but it was kind of the first stage where it was like, oh, I think we could go and do this. Like, I think this is going to happen here now. Like, it was really getting to that stage where, like, we're, we're really taking a foothold here. And, and because growing up hurling with Richie as well, there was always a moment where it's like, you're very aware that, that was Richie up at the far end. You know what he can do in your club. You know what he can do training sessions. But you could see that he, re, like, that bit of flair in another and final, control the ball and hang a top corner without touching it in the hand. I always remember that kind of moment and, like, seeing the reaction on Hill 16 when he scored it. Um, like, kind of, do you know, like, ripple of the net. Like, when you're down the far end of the field, Skelly will testify to this. All you can see is the ripple of the net. You know, that's, yeah. that's, you know. So I always remember, like, it was a sunny day, ball, Eddie Brennan pops it off to him, and all you see is the ripple of the net and the reaction to Hill 16. I always remember that's a great moment that I'll go, that was brilliant. That's, that's. Murph, do you remember, I always find, um, you know, when you're, you're kind of a supporter or attending the games at Crow Park, the decibel level in the in the, the stands is far different than on the pitch. The pitch I always found was 10 times louder. Oh, it's Obviously, that's a, the sound and yeah. waves is heading down that way. But like I, that's something that, again, I know I was talking about Michael D, that was a bit of crack, but when, when the crowd goes full bore into a roar, like, it's absolutely yeah. electric. It actually gives me a chill thing about it now. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. Like, and it is can't something that Can't hear a thing. Can't hear a thing. You can't. I was beside Johnny Cohen. I remember when Jimmer Canning got the goal mm. uh, the, the first day. That was a savage goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the roar that went up that day, Johnny Cohen was like literally from here maybe two yards away from me and I was roaring at him and he just couldn't hear me at all. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it just goes yeah. to show the level of noise that you actually get exerted to. Yeah, the team. yeah it's absolutely crazy. Like, um, the concentration and like even the thing of like with a few ex- the other players there where there's, it'd be very loud but there's certain instances where it goes above that normal rate of noise where like the likes of when Canning would have scored a goal there, the noise would be through the roof for that. When the likes of Tommy's catch or something like that, like in 2011, or there's moments that are just spark a kind of a bigger noise from the crowd. That, but um, yeah. it's it's very hard to describe it unless you've ever been in the position. How deafening it is, and like how enormous the noise is. It's is is huge. And you agree, with you. you do you don't get that in the stand. I, I agree with you. It has to be a certain incident. Like I I find that not the normal five eighths of a supporter will clap but won't stand and roar unless something yeah. major happens. Yeah. Like, like Tommy's catch. I was there at that, that catch. Like that was just something yeah. that people wouldn't have seen before. You know what I mean? Regularly. Yeah. So yeah. the normal five of supporter now jumps and shouts as well. So that yeah, yeah. It all, it all contributes to it. But, uh, but it's class to be part of, I have to say. Yeah. Here's the difference in size, by the way. <laughs> there you go. There you are now. Nice Jeez, to talk down. Cool. There, yeah. It's good. Looking well. Hmm? I always used to question the way he used to hold his hands. I never used to get it. I couldn't get it. See the way yeah. he's holding his hands? Yeah, they're not quite interlocked. They're kind of a few were locked and a few weren't. What's happening? I'm like, what's, what is that? You know, but... <laughs> yeah. so he could have, could have arthritis or something in his hands. Maybe it's uncomfortable to grip them together. I don't know. Sorry, Will. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be practical. Like, you, you were the one who asked the question. You know. Sorry, if, uh, if the president is a watcher of the hurling pod, I'm sure he can get in contact. I think it's usually letters that presidents send out and he can let us know exactly why. But that's when, when Skell met him for the second time. Because you met him on the pitch, obviously, before the final. So that was uh, yeah. the second meeting there at the Oris, which I thought was a nice one to bring up. But there we go. We go down dark alleyways on a tangent there. Um, all right. Elsewhere. Let's have a look at this. That's what I'll hold off. Someone's wondering about who would transfer. And I just think that'll get back to the draft again if I go down that line. Uh, Gary O'Connell. <laughs> And here's one for you, Skell, to take first. If Limerick win, and this question will come up so much next week if they do, are they considered the greatest hurling team of all time? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think we sometimes we get we get kind of blindsided a bit by the present. 
You know, mm-hmm. the present seems to always kind of outweigh the past. Whereas, you know, I can still vividly picture the Kenny teams of the, you know, the mid 2000s towards the 10s. And like, they were awesome. Like, and they were, they were a team where you come up against. And I've no bones, I've no issue saying this, like that you would actually be really concerned playing them. Like, that we're, we're going to get fucking trimmed here. Do you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, there was nearly, what was the word I used? Nearly an aura associated with that team when they're in their pomp, you know what I mean? I just think at the minute with, with social media being so prevalent in, in you know, in uh, in discussions, let's say, for for sports now, people kind of get swayed by the present. So I will I will hold judgment. If they win the game, fair enough, in the manner they do so. Now I will say what kind of might sway in their favour is the amount of games they've had to play mm-hmm. uh, to, to get to the Ireland stage. Like I said, they're, they're playing probably, I'd say, an average of, of what is it at the minute, probably six to seven games, depending on how they come out in Munster and whatnot. Whereas off memory, I think Kikini might have played, would you have gone four, Murph? Yeah, some years he played four, yeah. Four, yeah. Um, so, but again, like I, I still, I, I find it very hard to, to, to you know, compare eras. Mm. So like, we're, we're talking, let's say, flipping, you know, from, from, answer from 20 years ago onwards, like so, it's very hard. But, and it's if they went ahead now and did the fifth, for example, I know I'm talking way down the line, don't get me wrong. Mm. Then it's, I think it'll be hard for people to actually Debate that they're not the best team, but right now I think they're they're certainly they are thereabouts. But whether to pass them out is a big is a big if because I just think Kilkenny were were awesome back in the day, really really awesome. Similar question came in Murph, from Colin McCarthy on the Twitter. If and it's a big if, and he's put if in uh, capital letters in both instances of using it here. If Limerick get over the line, is it fair to say, based on the format and competition and standard of opposition, that twenty to twenty three four in a row is tougher than Kilkenny or Cork's efforts in the past? I guess that's going to become a big part of the debate. And the thing about the debate as well is Murph that you know Cork or Kilkenny in their eras were winning it in the format that it was in. It's yeah. very difficult to use that as an argument against them. It is, and that's the thing, because you might try and pigeonhole it to say, well, let's say Kilkenny and Cor- or Cork and Limerick at the moment, let's say Kilkenny, or, geez, I'm jumping all over the place, teams, Kilkenny of the 2000s and then Limerick of the moment. But then if you actually open it out, you're getting into the spheres of like, if you're talking of the greatest ever, like if you were to compare, when people try and compare like Christy Ring to... Um, you know, whoever, if you're, if you're bringing it to the present day of, of Keane Lynch or any of these, it's very hard to compare these things because the generational differences are just so big. Now, people might say, oh, well, if you're only comparing back as far as the Kenny team of uh, the 2000s, one argument you could say there is, well, that was the format that Kenny played in. They didn't dictate it. And the other argument you could say is, Kenny were beating teams back then by 25 and 30 points. Like, they were absolutely... Now, I know Limerick people would say, well, they bet Cork in the All-Ireland final and, you know, so on. But if you cast your mind back and I wasn't part of those teams like I drifted in and started becoming training panels I was an observer as much as anyone else like you, you can nearly forget at times that, that those Kilkenny teams were absolutely lettering teams like the, so the, jet, the the gulf or the gap in difference between Kilkenny at that time and the teams they were playing was absolutely enormous like so whereas the gap isn't as big with Limerick so you could and, and again but that's not a slight in Limerick that's more of a reflection of the balance of other counties and the efforts other counties are putting in that the, the chase and pack is so tight. So I just think it's very hard to call. Like, but I agree with Skettle there. If, if Liberty go and do the five in a row, it's very hard to argue against that. If that's what people want to say, it's very hard to argue against it. But in any of these conversations, I always leave it open to the fact that if I sit down and the three of us sit down and like, let's say, 
you were saying, Will, that the greatest player you think ever is Christy Ring, and here's why. I'd never say that, oh, you're actually wrong. I just think, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. If you ask what you believe, 100%, on you go. And we'll never, unless Limerick go and win the five in a row, you never have an answer to these questions. So let's say if Limerick win on Sunday, and but then they, they get knocked out next year, you'll still have people saying, oh, but they're still the greatest team ever. It's That argument will never finish then because you'll still have people who say no Kilkenny team or you'll still have people who say Cork team and so on. It'll never end. But I do agree with Skell. If they get as far as five, it's fa- it's hard to argue against it then. And you just you have to It's a massive if, like... Well, sure it is. But look, I mean, you, we'll see. I mean, yeah. the, the worst thing I think people do with these things is wish away time and see if they can do it, you know, and want to see can they do the five in a row. Enjoy them now. Enjoy what they're doing now and see what falls out of that but don't wish away the time enjoy what these lads are doing like you know and if those records come and those records are broken well so be it yeah I think the in a row thing sometimes has a bit too much emphasis on it and maybe that's because teams it took so long for someone to get to the five in a row is that this Limerick team if they win this Sunday it's five in six years if they're to win next year it's six and seven then you're getting into the territory of those Cody teams where some guys were around for all of it but some of it was a little bit of a rebuild but the fact is that they were beaten by Tipperary and yet they came back to be the best team of the next few years as well like Mm. sometimes that's forgotten about a little bit because people go ah their run stopped at four what I would say to that is, but hold on, the next four years they went on and won multiple Irelands again. So great, they had a, long, a longevity about them that's incredibly important. Where, because when you, when you think about pivotal positions that, that were in the Kikini team, I always think of number one and number six. Hmm. So you think of James McGarry and PG Ryan and David Herry and Owen Murphy. Then go into number six and you've got Sarah back as Peter Barry, Brian Hogan, Kieran Joyce, John Tennyson as well. Like you're, you're going through so many different eras and players in pivotal positions and that, that probably counts for an awful lot of the Kikini team so that's why I, I put huge value on that that there was a turnover of players because Cody's era was littered with I don't know how many hundred players he had he had in that, in that. but he was he, he like a Ferguson situation he was able to win with those players and get the most out of them so I think that that can never be discounted ever it's, it's, his, his ability and, and the player's ability to win and win and win even though when there's a turnover in personnel Hmm. Uh, Damien Cal, I can answer the second part of your question here any truth that Scale has been watching Father Ted on his phone on the tractor he has not nope. that's the second part of the question first part is from either team which player would Scale least like to face as a goalkeeper as a goal threat on his watch if he was playing on Sunday so which forward would you not like to be facing up against on either team um, I wouldn't say not like I'd say most like is the way I kind of rephrase the question but it would be the same answer if you know what I mean just what way you look at it um, I'd love to face on Cody. I, I, I never played against the guy. I, I would have loved to play against him, um, just because, like again, he's exciting. Takes a bit of watching, so that's the other kind of players you want to play against. And uh, then I, I'm a fan of Hegarty. You know, I'm a fan of Hegarty. Played against him already, but I like in in big games. If we're talking that particular question towards the final, like he's produced the goods in the final, so like he's the kind of guy you'd be saying this guy needs attention. And his goal last year was awesome. The pickup mm-hmm. even being being more impressive than the finish, if you ask me. So, like, he produces big moments, and that's that's kind of what you want to face at times, you know. Hmm. Uh, here's one for you, Murph, from Will Norris on Twitter. My question is, does Limerick's first 30 minutes against Galway, when Galway had four or five good goal chances, show that Hannan's leadership, organisation, and importance to the Limerick team, if he's out, can Kilkenny make hay as a result? Um, yeah, like, if that's what... Um, if that's what people feel is the was the reason that Galway had the goal chances. I think there was probably a few reasons for it. I don't think it's sing, it singularly hinged on Hannon not being there. But I would agree that there was opportunities there. Like Mike Casey's stop uh, from was it Concanon, I think it was, yeah. uh, which he kind of blindly stopped as well. Like he, he did the best as he could, you know, standing up, 
in the event that the ball might come through that he was well placed and he stopped it and you know it was brilliant but you know if that ball hits the back of the net um, does it change the complexion at the time and like I'd be looking at that from a Kilkenny point of view going well if those opportunities were there you know I'd be really happy and confident that Kilkenny players could convert those opportunities and the fact that we're speaking that there was opportunities there you're going brilliant you know I'm not sure where they're going to transpire from in the game on Sunday but there's hallmarks there to show that you can create opportunities against this Limerick if you ask the right questions. And I think Kilkenny can do that. So I would agree. I, I, I definitely looked at the, the, the Galway first half in particular. You couldn't take much from the second half, but definitely look at the first half and go, when you see those runs, like, you know, when you see the ball Kevin Cooney played, that there will, there's a way that you can, you know, a lateral ball going across into a player that's run directly at goal, you know, on the front foot can open up the Limerick defence. Well, brilliant. You also know Limerick are going to be reactive to that as well and they're going to learn lessons from it. But certainly the fact that there was a moments there that Galway opened them up and also in last year's final that there was moments like Kenny opened them up and got their goals when there was talk that there's no way he can open up this Limerick defence. So definitely there is there is moments there. Is it because of Hannon? I don't know. You'd have to say a certain element possibly. We, we speak about, you know, Hannon's organisational skills and what he brings to that defence. So it's hard to say specifically was it because of that, but you'd imagine that if he was there, he'd shore up a few more of those opportunities and maybe even cut them out if, if, if his presence was there. Hmm. Uh, Mick Johnson, this is more of an observation from Mick. Sunday he sees a 50-50 game. Won't be much more than the puck of a ball either way. 2017 KK winning by three. 2018 Limerick by two. KK by a point in 2019. Limerick by two last year. Sunday won't be any different. Has the makings of a classic. And uh, Mick is a Kilkenny supporter because at the end, Hon, the black and amber. Uh, Tan97, two questions. So you can take the first one, Skell, and Murph can have the second one. So question one, is the extent to which the Kilkenny defence were beaten in the air by Clare a concern versus Limerick. Ooh, geez, I wouldn't say there. I wouldn't say there were. Maybe there was a couple of instances where they were out jeweled, um, but I don't. Don't know. What, did, did it form a huge part of the game whereby it was an area of attack for Clare? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Certainly didn't sound to me. Maybe it did to others because um, different people would perceive games in different ways. But when I was looking at it, I just I I thought more Shane Donnan was the big <laughs> get the ball away from that man for Clare. But the high ball, high feeling didn't kind of stand out to me. Now, if it if it, if it was an issue, um, like it is, look, don't get me wrong, like you've got really big men in the Limerick forwards, um, but they're not really high ball. It's not their primary method of winning possession, if that makes sense, because they're all able to do it on the ground. So like, even though mm-hmm. Hegarty is massive, you know, get me wrong, and, and so is Hayes and these guys, they're still great stickmen on the ground. So I don't think th- that the, the high ball is an area whereby they're going to solely attack. I think the high ball is a 14, which we don't see an awful lot from them, to be fair. They're usually a kind of a, a delivered to half forward line or crossing over to your corner forwards. That's usually the way they play. But when they do go to fourteen, Glenn is, is the danger man there for the. I think we spoke about. But I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be concerned. Like I, it's it's a rarity you see a Kilkenny team get no jeweled. Put that with you. Hmm. Um, now there was concern last year with with, with the manner in which the Kilkenny half back line got beaten. So that's probably somewhere that look at different management, different personnel. Say what you like, but in the day, like the, the, it was an area that was 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 concerning for Kilkenny last year as the half back line. So that could be an area that could be targeted again. Would oh, you have any concerns, Murph, or was that something you picked up on yourself last Sunday? But the aerial mm. battles, I didn't really pick up on it, to be honest. No, like, I mean, I, the few examples I can think, Peter Duggan's point there in the first half. Um, but outside of that, I don't remember making any note of O'Kilkenny oh, being cleaned here in the air. I actually made note uh, in the first half of just Claire being very wasteful driving long ball, which suited O'Kilkenny. So the long ball in that instance actually was suiting it. But I don't know, I couldn't agree with Tan there on that one that I have massive concern, but... 
look at here if someone pointed out examples where they actually were and it just kind of went under the radar you know happy days but it wasn't something I came away from the game going Jesus that's going to be a problem against Limerick now hmm. uh, second part has a bit of a caveat so can Kilkenny win with freeze and the way Tan looks at it is Cody is the serious scoring threat feels the half forward line doesn't score enough so the, the first the, I suppose the second part scale to take that first is there enough of a return off that Kilkenny half forward line um, I would say at present probably not. Um, when you when you consider what what they're returning to date, um, TJ is, is getting his freeze, uh, which is very important, guys. Because if you miss freeze in big moments, like you can, you can I won't say turn a game, but it, it doesn't help getting back into a game at all. Um, like just look at it here, they scored one thirteen uh, from from play against Clare, which was the same. Ironically, what Clare scored against them, but like. I know we can we can pick at stats, we can pick at figures and do all that, but they won the game. <laughs> that's the way it is, right? And that's the biggest stat you get. Yeah, like you have, they won the game. It's simple as that. And they beat Galway. So they they again they conceded a good a good amount against Galway, two eighteen from play, but they won the fifth in the game. So that's so look, I, I, I don't think um they're getting enough after half forward to challenge Limerick at the minute. And it goes back to my earlier point, they're gonna to have to get an awful lot out of all six forwards and the replacements because with the way the game is played and the way Kilkenny are playing the game at the moment also, it's high octane, it's energy sapping, it's very difficult for you know, people to keep that going for 70 odd minutes. So the replacements who come in, they're going to have to get big games. Like, like Murph said, Keane Kinney, Richie Hogan, these guys, Wally Walsh. So they're, they're as important, if you ask me, about the people who are starting. That's how we finish them. I think the point about the freeze is they won't win with just purely freeze. I think no, last year TJ got nine points from freeze in the final. And if you're going to match Limerick, you have to be somewhere in the 25 to 30 scores territory because you can almost set your watch to them getting to that area. And it's very unlikely you're going to get 25, 30 successful freeze during a game. Kilkenny, you're going to, I don't know how you feel, Murph, with this. I think they'll have to score goals and they'll have to be efficient with their point taken if they're going to be on the right side of the result here. Yeah, like, I mean, at the end of the day, Kilkenny are going out here to try and shoot the lights out. That's always the aim of any team, particularly in All-Ireland final. It's not about we're going out here to learn anything, we're going out here to do this, we're going out here to do that. Kilkenny are looking to, if they can, in the first 10 minutes, happy days, shoot the lights out, and for as long as we can do it. That's always the aim. Um, and, you know, exactly as, as Skell is saying there, just about the stats, they can be deceiving in lots of ways as well, because not only is let's say you score 113 from play, but the manner of the scores and the time in which they come as well um, is, is very important because like hitting the back of the net, yeah, it's always important. Teams want to do it. But hitting it at important times that maybe where it keeps in the game or where it kills off the other team, like they can mean different things at different stages. And if I look back at like when Richie Hogan came on and he got the free in the corner, granted he was busted by Dermot Ryan, but he got the free in the corner. And that was a really important free that, you know, it took about two minutes out of the game. We talk of game management and we talk of, you know, playing the game at your pace. It took a minute or two out of the game and TJ popped the ball over the bar. I think he put it out to three points at that stage then. Really important period there of two to three minutes. And like that's that one score in a nutshell is like, that's that's a really strong score for us there to establish us finishing out this game. So we can look into the stats all we want. Like, yeah, absolutely. In, in broad terms, Kilkenny will want TJ scoring probably 10 points from freeze and after that they want you're going to want your goal scorers you're going to have one or two lads scoring goals you, like I mean as a foundation you probably want two goals to be scored you want lads chipping in from all over the place you want from around 20 minutes in Kilkenny will want to have and Limerick they'll want to have maybe five different scorers from play at that stage uh, from wherever on the field you'll want all your forwards have to have scored by about the 40th minute like there's all these measurables that if you were to write them down here Teams go, well, that's a really good indicator. That's a really good indicator and, and so on. So there's lots more than just 
singularly writing down, you know, 113 isn't enough. I think, look, at the end of the day, this is an All-Ireland final. Wherever you can gain ground on a team and wherever it's going to put you in a positive state finishing up, brilliant, brilliant. But you are, you're going to have to break that 24 scores mark, whether that be like, you know, 222, whether that be, you know, you're going to have to break that to beat Limerick. And that's the reality. And can Kenny know that? Like, I mean, we don't have to say that. Can Kenny know that? Yeah. Um want to touch on John Keenan as well, because a few people asked uh, what do you think about the referee appointment. My first instance when I saw this is this is a wonderfully romantic way for John Keenan to finish as an intercounty referee. So this is going to be his last ever game because he meets the age limit next season, so he won't be on the intercounty panel. So his last intercounty match, whatever happens maybe with club later in the year, he's going to be the referee in the All Ireland final for the first time. When you think that this time last year Everyone was praising him, I think, among the hurling community about the job he did in the Munster final. Few dissenting voices here and there, but generally I thought his performance in that Limerick Clare game in difficult conditions in the rain was very well received. I think a lot of people have liked the job he's done in the championship games that he's ref this year, Skell. And here he is now going out after being left in the cold for the knockout stages of the championship last year. He's now the top referee in the country and his last ever game is going to be an All-Ireland final, which will hopefully be a cracker on Sunday. It's a great story for John Keenan. And yeah, for for him, that's hitting in the head for him himself. Um, for us as a, as a hurling <clears throat> public, I suppose he's probably the best appointment you can get when you're looking for again as a neutral, you're looking for uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for a game of action. But the thing is, and I said it there previously, it was after the Tipperary game, whereby I give great great praise to him because it was he was relatively anonymous. You know, I mean that in a good way, um, because if you have a referee who's in the limelight in some way, shape, or form, he's obviously getting the limelight for some reason, uh, whether it be bad decision, indecision. You name it, but for John himself, like it's 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 great for him that you know when you rewind twelve months that he was subjected to what I think was probably uh, unfair treatment. Being straight up, uh, when you consider what 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 happened towards the end of the championship um, and the lack of games he got, whereas now I think there's an appreciation for what he has done. Sorry, what he's doing. Sorry, and what he has done, and he's got himself to the to be the top official. So I would say fair play to him. I think he'll probably just throw the whistle in the pocket on Sunday <laughs> and let head off. But again, like I, I always like his demeanour. Um, and again, I said a couple of weeks ago that you, when, you, when you assess him on the uh, the TV, because he's a very hard to see in person, when you assess him on the TV, he seems to interact with the players in a very positive manner. He seems to be quite approachable. So if you're a player, let's say, and you can, you can I won't say question the referee, but you can easily you know, debate him, and he, he returns back, at least you've kind of some kind of closure on, on that particular instant, right? which is great. Nothing worse than when a, a referee just takes this arrogant approach or kind of an untouchable approach and tends to go away or shut up. Or, you know, that's that's kind of disrespectful to a player who's trying to ask you a question. Um, so that's why I think he's got great traits and it's good for him. And I, th- I think it's uh, it's just reward for what he's done um, in the game. Okay. Murph, you're going to have a chance to analyse him on the BBC on Sunday. And the BBC are going to have Fergal Horgan there as well, which I kind of liked Morris Deegan in there uh, for the games at the weekend because they were able to throw over and say, right, Morris, is it controversial that that's a yellow card as opposed to a black card? And he could give you the rulings and the thinking of the referees. So mm-hmm. uh, Fergal Horgan, you know, basically dominated the All-Ireland final over the last few years and he's going to be on TV with you on Sunday. Yeah, that's my understanding at the moment anyway. And that's what they said. They're following very much in the line of, of Morris Deegan. And something I really liked from Morris Deegan um, in the game, I think he was, you know, someone analysed, um, it was the trip, was it Jermaine O'Connor, was it from Kerry, the trip where he got the black card? And someone was saying, well, look, that's actually a bad call because of whatever. And that went to Morris Deegan. And the thing is as well, before Morris Deegan chipped in, people often take can take their opinion from what the analysis comes from on, let's say, the Sunday game or BBC or whatever, and go home with that saying, well, you know, 
Mickey Hart said it there, so that must be true, or Michael Murphy said it, or Henry Shefflin said it, so it has to be true. But when you had the, the opportunity where Morris Deegan came in and said, oh, no, actually, it's not just a pull-down, it's actually he deliberately tripped him with his hand, which that is in the rule book is a black card. Well, it straight away kind of nips any sort of, I suppose, momentum from people flogging the referee when you're like, oh, I actually got the call appears to be correct in a brief moment in the match. He actually got the correct call when a lot of people were calling it. No, no, that's not the right call. So apparently, um, yeah, that's what they're going to they're going to do. And I think it gives good perspective on um, on the referees as well, because like, it's not it's one voice we don't often hear is referees and their thought process and. Maybe it would lead to spectators or maybe viewers of television to maybe have a cooler head or maybe a more broad mindset on why decisions are made. If a referee like this now is able to go, well, the reason he's observing this is actually because of this rule and this is how it's interpreted. So, yeah, that appears to be something. And hopefully he won't be used a whole lot. There won't be many controversial decisions. But nevertheless, he's there if needs be and uh, might be beneficial. That's our way of telling you, by the way, he's back in the BBC this coming Sunday. Um, so you can look forward to, to catching Murph on the BBC, whatever about Fergal Horgan. And we can see John Keane. There the could also page. be a queue of, I know, I can't go back to Father Ted again, can we? I made the BBC. Go on, you made the BBC. There, someone yeah. did do a wonderful, wonderful uh, paint <laughs> job of uh, getting Paul Murphy's head and just sticking it on to Henry Sellers. And the lack of effort actually impressed me more so than the, you know, the Photoshop <laughs> and blended in his skin tone and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for, uh, yeah, you know, low quality efforts. Yeah. But if you want to see him before that and he's in demand and so is Kehl and so are these special guests, come and see us on Thursday. Look at that. Tommy Welch, Joe Canning, Kieran Carey, the three of us, three days out from an All-Ireland final. Doesn't need a whole lot of hype scale. Borgosh Energy Theatre in Dublin. I can't think of a better All-Ireland preview all week. Well, if, if I was in the on kind of the the, the attendees kind of uh, I suppose side of the table, I, I I'd be going um, because look, don't get me wrong, we're on the, we're on the podcast, right? Obviously, we know it's a public forum; it's going out on Twitter and YouTube, so we have to be kind of reserved somewhat. Although it might look like it at times in what we say. <laughs> uh, right here we go. This is not to give away a production meeting before we yeah, start. I would you know say, what I mean? don't you know what be I mean? too reserved in the first kind of 15, 20 minutes. I reckon that's for the audience. Then we'll let the editors worry about the rest of it when it comes to the rest of their live pod. Yeah. The first bits aren't going to make it in there anyway, because they're going to be there, you know, welcome along, Scale and Murphy have a few stories. I reckon be as loose as you want. And that's the benefit for giving the 20 euro, quite aside from supporting the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland. If you're coming along, chances are they're the bits you're not going to get to see if you weren't in the board, gosh. Now, Will, the last time I met somebody who said to me, you know what, it's all right, let's do what you want. I'm not going to call it, was the referee in the Boston 11 aside, right? In <laughs> Dublin. I met him on the street and I had a walk with Andy Smith that morning. I said, how are we going to ref this? He goes, ah, I'm going to let it all go. That ended in a Royal Rumble. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> You're after telling me now, right? Ah, let it off there. <laughs> I was... I I was slightly worried that was going to go. The last guy who told me you can go out there and do whatever you want was you and Dolan's last year. And next thing you went off and nearly every story that we told in the first half hour didn't make it past the censor. So someone had to sit down on the Friday and go, "Uh, not sure about that story. Mm, That Sherlock Nan story, gone. There was loads of good material that was lost. But what I would say to that is those who went to Dolan's on that night and had bought their ticket got all of the material that wasn't allowed on YouTube. So, you know, 
win-win if you go because a lot of the questions I got from Limerick supporters and we will put the vast majority of this out we've got a um, camera crew are all booked to go on the night they're going to be shooting with I think multiple cameras as well from either side of the stall so there will be really nice footage I will endeavour after work on Friday afternoon to get the preview piece out first and we might put the legend interviews up on the Saturday and we'll YouTube across the two days as well so you will get to see quite a bit of the show but there will be bits which I guarantee you management will say you're not allowed to put that out or someone got libeled potentially in that there's no way this is for public consumption but if you're in the hall you can come along and enjoy it I think that's as fair as I can be to you Scal why are you naming it at me like because <laughs> <laughs> you were the one who said about being careful <laughs> come here I started off this podcast oh, I love that trying to be careful in the swear jar now the swear jar is full right <laughs> so, like, just, sure. just let's just have a continuation of same. Uh, and Murph was, I tell you, I, I've had, I've, I've been beside Murph in in a, in a pub setting. I put it that way to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's quite the storyteller himself now. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Like I assume, yeah. Murph, you've got loads of dirt on Tommy Walsh, particularly. I wouldn't call it dirt. Tommy is a catalyst for crack. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, like he just, he Tommy can't sit still. Like and just inevitably in any situation, particularly after matches, you know, lads would be excited, lads would be wanting to have a bit of crack. Tommy was usually the person that started it, not to say finish it, but he was definitely in the middle of it most times. So um, I, I definitely have a think before Thursday night about stories we've had, and uh, I might have to. I'll throw one or two past Tommy, but I mightn't throw all. Tommy, <laughs> don't worry, I'll ambush him one or two. He's coming back from his holiday, so he's probably not going to check his text before he arrives in the Borgosh. So <laughs> everything is going to be brand new to him by the time he comes in. He'd be like, why didn't you check it? And he'd be like, well, we'll sit you on holidays. Don't be, uh, yeah, don't be bothering exactly. him while he's on holidays. The only person who I think is actually safe in stories here is probably Kieran Carey. Because I guarantee you, all of us on stage probably grew up admiring Kieran Carey. And we're going to just be like, yeah, geez, you were, you were class. Like, I can't believe Limerick yeah. didn't win Ireland during the mid-90s. And yeah. he's going to be pretty safe. Because I assume, Skell, you and Canning have got ammo on each other. Yeah, that's the thing. And Murph, I was just thinking as you were speaking there about Tommy, like you're a better man than me uh, going back to him and run them by him. I wouldn't give a shit. Like I just say them out. <laughs> so, like, we have two different approaches. So, yeah. And they're going to end up in the same result, man. Well, like I've been on the receiving end of like, you know, I'm very aware that I might be facing Tommy this year at some stage in the club championship as well. So like, you know, Tommy with the red helmet on him is still Tommy with the red helmet on him from 20 years ago, you know, so yeah, it's a yeah. formidable, formidable man if he if he has the blood up, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'll see. So, I'll see. Kenning is a good crack too, though. Like, I think, I, I suppose everyone would associate him as being, you know, this uh, class hurler and kind of businessman and see him on Sunday game, but like, he is really good crack and he's, He's funnier than and he obviously in the RT it's very hard to be drop comical or, or funny if you're there to do mm. a job like but he is he's a funny old devil and I'm not gonna lie to you. I I am slightly concerned, like <laughs> I'm slightly <laughs> concerned about what he's gonna say about me. <laughs> Cause he has an array and I, I'd say I I'd say he has twenty different incidents or stories about me, I'd imagine. <laughs> At least, yeah. All of of varying levels, don't get me wrong, yeah. So actually, I might have to have a word with him <laughs> and tell him to go easy. <laughs> well, I've just extended the show out by a few minutes. We're going to be on stage around about half past seven on Thursday. If you listen from the future, I'm sure the uh, podcast of the show will be going up in the next little bit. But uh, half seven, we're due on stage. So it's going to be us basically having the normal podcast. We'll bring in Joe Canning, Kieran Carey, Tommy Welsh during it. And then we'll do a big preview panel towards the end. And even more importantly, if you're thinking about going during the week, what have Borgosh Energy set us up with? Wonderfully, they have set us 
tickets for the All-Ireland Final. So what we're going to have is the first ever Hurling Pod Crappy Quiz, where it's going to be Team Murph against Team Scale, along with whoever we pick out of the crowd, two people up against each other on a crappy quiz with the two lads. Winner gets to go to the All-Ireland Final. Loser will buy you a pint and probably feel sorry for you for losing. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can wrangle a BG a goodie bag, possibly, so you don't have to go home with nothing. But, but basically what I'm saying is, you come along, you've got a chance to win All-Ireland tickets. You're not just supporting two wonderful charities. We've got All-Ireland tickets to give away, which are like gold us this week uh, to try and go to the game between uh, Limerick and Kilkenny. Um, before we finish up, lads, the one important question that I didn't ask, and no doubt this will get clipped later on, and the most important win, is Paul Murphy, who is going to win the All-Ireland Final on Sunday and why? Well, look at I, I said this to someone the other day. I said, I know Limerick are favourites. I know they are. That's fine. But you will not hear me say before the full-time whistle on Sunday that Limerick are going to win. Like, I fully believe that Kilkenny are going to win it. Um, and the, like, the, the reason behind it is a few of the points that I've made earlier. Galway caused them problems. Look, all things, all things you know, taken into consideration, this is an All-Ireland Final. It's a different game than the semi Galway caused them problems. You know, Kilkenny showed that they went eight points ahead of Galway in Leinster final. Granted, Galway came back at them. But again, they caused savage problems for Galway when they wanted. If Clare were playing on Sunday, people would say Clare would have enough to actually go and beat Limerick. Um, Kilkenny bet both of them and they bet both of them in a very structured manner, um, playing really good brand of hurling and causing the problems on their terms. Can they do it? Like, they were within a puck of the ball of winning the All-Ireland last year and I actually think they're in a better position again this year. You know, they seem to be getting that bit much more out of a few more of the elder players in particular. A few more of the younger players have really, I suppose, established themselves now as well. And the few breaks of the ball, look, some people can say it's luck or whatever, but look, you create your own luck and Kenny just seems to be working hard enough that they're, that they're creating those opportunities. So, look, in my mind, I have full trust in whatever team Derek and the boys pick at the weekend the, I've been chatting to a few of the lads just seeing how they're getting on and mm. lads are just in great form and that's always sometimes it might seem like a very simple indicator but I always feel that's good when you pass these lads and you're chatting to them that they're just buzzing for it they're really looking forward to the match um, and I think as well which is a really good indicator of, of, of a team coming into a final like none of these lads they all obviously want to be playing but they understand if they're not they understand that there's a job for them and if, if they're required they will be brought on and Derek has shown that and there's savage buy-in you get from players when, when that is the case. And uh, I just think all around where Kilkenny are this year now, I think, again, they're another step closer to actually really dethroning Limerick. Look, they're not the favourites and they, nothing will change between now and, and match day. But as a Kilkenny person, and I speak for you know everybody in Kilkenny, we fully believe going up here on Sunday that you know, it might work out first, but at the same time, this could be a great match and Kilkenny could turn over Limerick, something people thought couldn't be done at the start of this year. So, look, I believe Kilkenny by the smallest of margins, a point or two. Is that the biggest compliment you could possibly give Derek Ling as well? That he comes in after two decades of Cody, after all the success that's happened, and 12 months on, Kilkenny are back into an All-Ireland final? Well, it is, yeah, because like inevitably you were going to have the conversation of the comparisons of... of Cody and Derek and I don't think anybody thought we we're going to be in this position where that's pretty much kind of shaken off at this stage there's no one really talking about that now and it's not a, it's not an elephant in the room you know and whoever he's managed that I'm not really sure but like look we're coming into a final and of course people are saying it's isn't it strange that we have an all-earned final that Brian isn't on the sideline and mm-hmm. you know you're going to see the pictures of Brian up in the stand at the game and all these different things but where we are now like Kilkenny are just or the Kilkenny people are just looking at this going 
Derek has done a fantastic job. The management have done a great job. It's been a brilliant year. Like they've really enjoyed it. And, you know, there's a rejuvenation again because I think people were concerned that when Cody stepped aside, we were going to be heading for barren times, you know. And Derek, in fairness to him, fronted up, took on the job. And here we are in our learning final. And I don't think, not to say people didn't expect it, but they would have forgiven if we weren't in an All-Ireland final this year while management were getting a spin on their own team and, and establishing themselves. So to be sitting here now, you know, a year on and we're back in All-Ireland final with new management, sure, that's best case scenario. You couldn't hope for better. Yeah. All right, Scal. Who's going to win and why? Um, well, first, I listened to everything Morph said intently because like, <clears throat> I was in his situation two weeks ago. Um, you know, as kind of assessing the, the, the opposition, assessing our own position. And like you're nearly get nearly guilty sometimes when you're uh, going up against Limerick to try and ch- just turn the narrative a bit into your favour. You know, and I didn't hear Morph say one thing about Kikini that, that was turned the narrative. It was just kind of, I got more of a siege mentality out here. That's what I'm, I'm looking at. Like, everyone everyone Kikini says, I, let's just go at it. Like, and that was, I was I was hoping that like, oh, it would do also. Now, they didn't do it for the whole game. Um, but when they did go at it, like there, there's evidence there to show that that Limerick can be got at. You know, so... I, I just think if you've got everyone on a collective approach who is going in the one direction, it speaks a lot. And I, I always speak of momentum. And I, that's why I talked, like, I suppose, wrongly on my behalf, where, where Claire were coming from, that they were getting momentum, that they would, they would overtake Kinney. But, like, they met a tough force. They met a tough force. And Kinney are never beaten, which they've shown in the last two games. So, for me, it's, it's, it's a very, very hard one to call. But when I say all that, and I, and I listen to what you're saying, Murph, and I, I kind of coming from the same position you were, um, I still have to put value on Limerick because... What they did in the manner in which they dismantled uh, Galway, just it was very, it wasn't chaotic. It was very calm. It was executed professionally. Um, there was very little talk out of them, and they just completely blew Galway out of the water you know, for forty mm-hmm. minutes. So when I look at that, and I, it coincides in with with what I was saying last week, when I can see how they can the level they can get up to, you know, when I was saying about the league final, although not huge value, you know, the Ireland finals, etc. Cork, you know, the names, the, the games we've 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 mentioned numerous times. When I have that in my head, that they can get to that level, I'm like, Jesus, that, that's... No one beats them. That's that's just reality. When they get to that level, no one beats them. <clears throat> so, like, you're saying to say to yourself, it's ifs and buts. But I still think that Limerick have enough, and they deserve, they deserve to be given the favours tag, and they deserve to be to be said, like, like of us saying that they, they, they'll they uh, they'll win the game. But I, I I can see two points, you know, two points, maybe three max. I, I, I find it very hard to see how they beat Kenny more than that, because Kenny are never beat more than that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're only ever beaten by more than that when there's a numerical disadvantage. It's a lad sent off. Do you know what I mean? And I have to go back as far as to, as to, give me the year, Murph. Give me the year. Nine, as it, what years you beat? 19 against Tip. 19 against Tipper, yeah. Where like, it was, Richie was wrongly sent off in my opinion. And you know, it was a numerical disadvantage. That's the only time Kikini are beaten by, in my opinion, by more than a, a one, one score game. So I'm going to say Limerick and I'm going to say two or three. Okay. Uh, before we go, hurling it is anyone's game. Off the ball teaming up with the Senior Hurling Championship sponsors and our own sponsors, Borgosh Energy. We're uncovering stories telling the positive impact that hurling has had on people's lives. This week's competition winner, which is hosted by our friends at Borgosh Energy, is Tommy Comerford from Kilkenny. Tommy's three kids are obsessed with hurling, including his son, Bobby, who suffers with mild cerebral palsy, but is included in the same way that everyone else is. Tommy's big hope is for him to be a flag bearer at Crow Park on a big occasion one day. Congrats again to Tommy, who's getting a pack from Borgosh board gosh energy lads it's been a pleasure uh, weirdly it's only a few days before we see each other again and then we get to see each other again at the weekend afterwards for uh, the pod after the final mm-hmm. have a good all ireland uh, final week and looking forward to seeing you on thursday sound lads i'll see you then bye bye otb's the hurling pod 
with Gord Gosh Energy. Hurling, it's anyone's game.